Hello, everybody, and welcome to Turn to Page, Season 3, Book, also 3, Sherlock Holmes Solo Mysteries, Death at Appledore Towers. I, the word Appledore, mm. how do you feel, how do you feel about it? Does it hit you right? It kind of does. It's look. It's it's a little uncomfortably close to Apple Core, which would be mm. two different words rather than Apple Door individual. Uh, it does also seem like it would be someone's job in a fantastical realm where they are yes. you know, two and a half inches tall. Yes, I'm the Apple Door. That's it. Uh, yeah, I'm. It's the book Death at Apple Door Towers. <laughs> we um. Since last time, we've decided mm -hmm. to, apropos of nothing, definitely not failing lots of roles because the character design system is slightly flawed in a way, uh, we have decided to change up our character. Do you want to introduce the world to our new, well-rounded character? Absolutely. So after the end of the last case, uh, Johnny Curbstorm had clearly had too much excitement on the job and decided to retire. To a life of crime. Uh, is now working... Yeah, exactly. Has <laughs> decided to retire from uh, detective work and is now in a life of crime instead. So we may come up against them in the future. <laughs> uh, but our current character, with ones across the board, is Detective Frank Lee Everyman. It's true. So, I mean, if you didn't listen to last ones, first of all, it doesn't... I mean, I don't think that there's an order that matters, but go back! Uh... If you have, so basically we're given one, two, three, we're given six points and we can put them in one of six skills or you can put them in whatever skills. Uh, but if you don't put one point into it, you lose two, two points in it. So it's like doing anything other than putting one across the board is just unfortunately bad. And the fact that we were locked out of some, you know, solving a case that we solved in a way... I think it means mm. that this is probably a better call. Yeah, it certainly seems more reasonable and should uh, result in fewer circumstances of, well, I know that they're an amateur magician, but my yes. character doesn't. He's too dumb. He's curb stomping right now. Too busy curb stomping to use his peepers. Johnny, stop curb stomping. Come in and do your homework. <laughs> Why don't you come That's out here? That's the sound here? of a curb stomp. Glass shattering, I guess. <laughs> He's just, cur just curb stomping glasses. Just waves against the beach. Yeah. So we have a new character. That is, of course, Detective Frankly, Everyman. And we're going to be heading into a new case entirely here. And also, for what it's worth, I believe all of the characters are, you know, the protagonists in these, rather, are treated differently. One of them had a different relationship to yeah. uh, Watson than the next one did. So this is probably in canon a completely new character. Yeah, that or the, it's just going to be David Phillips again, which is the default character they give you. But then they say you can be any character you want. And then the book goes as long as it's, you know, David Phillips. David Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> you can choose any of our wonderful assortment. Gestures hand to a shelf of David Phillips. <laughs> uh, anyways. Have you made a selection yet? <laughs> pick me. No, pick me. No, pick me. No, pick me. Anyways, let's go to the prologue and let us begin. Prologue. Recently, Lord Ellington, who heard of your skills from one of your satisfied clients, invited you to look into a problem of some missing papers. 
His lordship feared the papers would be misused by the thief. To his satisfaction, and your own, you were able to trap the thief in a single night. To make your success all the greater, the thief stole some of the, his lordship's silver so that he could be arrested without embarrassing references to the stolen personal papers. Pleased with your discretion and skill, Lord Ellington has paid you well and promised he would give you full references any time you should need them. Accompanied by Lord Ellington and his valet, you take the villain to Cannon Row Police Station, where he's charged and locked away. As you dispose of the matter, you see Inspector Lestrade hurry in, shouting orders and demanding the services of several constables and various other specialists. On seeing you, he hesitates, as though thinking for a moment. I know you, don't I? He mutters, looking a little bit puzzled. Then he nods. Aye, you're Mr. Holmes's protege, aren't you? The one he gives all the cases when he's too busy to deal with them himself. It's fortunate we have the pair of you, so that London has kept safe from all the matters too complex for us silly poor policemen. What brings you to Cannon Road today? You're more than a little startled, startled at the bitter irony in Lestrade's voice, for the inspector usually admits the greatest respect for Holmes's skills. Before you reply, Lord Ellington comes to your defense. You shouldn't be so rude to this young man, sir. His lordship says sharply. I am Lord Ellington. This gentleman has just settled a matter for me, and he did it so quickly and neatly that it seemed miraculous to me. The Mr. Holmes you mentioned could take less, uh, could likely rather take lessons from him. Lestrade laughs lightly, bowing to the peer as he leaves the police station. But the detective looks so thoughtful. Your skills seem to have improved since we last met, he says softly, so slowly. <laughs> I am sorry if I sounded brusque. I've been up most of the night dealing with an important case, a murder over near Hampstead Heath, and spending my night at the Appledore Towers looking into the matter, I stopped by Baker Street to ask Mr. Holmes for his help. He told me he was deeply involved in a matter referred to him by the Prime Minister and could not possibly investigate another hurt until it was concluded. With hope rising in your heart, you ask, May I help you in the case, Mr. Lestrade? I don't know Mr. Holmes's knowledge or skills, but, you know, perhaps I could be of assistance. I'd be delighted to help. Holmes has schooled you in his methods. Lestrade mutters, very well then, come along, it may turn out there are aspects to this case better investigated by someone uh, without official connections. You turn and follow Lestrade into a cab, wondering who is dead, how, and why. Pick a number- <laughs> Wait. We're on the job. <laughs> no, yeah, but also, pick a number and add your intuition Not bonus to, <laughs> to intuit who's dead, how, and why? Is that what we're yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, I mean- after spending a night at the Appledore Towers looking into the matter, it's possible a murder over at Hampstead Heath. We have some things to intuit from, which actually might be why it's such a difficult check. 9 to 12 to get a positive result here. Not difficult for Detective Frank Lee Everyman, though, because we got an 8 plus 1, just barely doing it. Ooh, not difficult at all. 444. Hasty. What if we just intuit the murder? <laughs> Just <laughs> before ah. he even tells us who's being murdered, <laughs> we're like, <laughs> actually, I think you'll find it was the butler. Uh, that I mean, honestly, that's uh, a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stuff. It seems to imply that like he just knows it, and the case is formality. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, the case is proving it. It's like, ah, show your work. Oh, but why? <laughs> it's so <clears throat> tedious to catch you up to speed. Uh, <sighs> very well, then. We shall walk through it. <laughs> Do you need me to start at your birth? I could legitimately imagine the the Sherlock BBC doing that. Yeah. Benedict doing that to the Lestrade of that show. I'm glad. I've got what, it down. Do you need me to start with your birth? I've got it down and I've oh, never wow. seen the show. I'm a master. <laughs> I've intuited it before it has even begun. <laughs> Anyways. As the four-wheeler... Gr what? Four-wheeler grinds its way through the streets of London. I am definitely picturing an ATV. You consider Inspector Lestrade's claim that Holmes was too busy to take the case. So, uh, Mr. Holmes was too busy to investigate this murder, Mr. Lestrade? You ask, suspicion strong in your voice. That doesn't really ring true, somehow, sir. I have heard something of it from my cousin, Dr. Watson, if uh. Mr. Holmes were, you know, so busy. Wait, so is that what it was in <laughs> book number one? In the first book, we were cousin of, of Dr. Watson. In the second book, he doesn't recognize us when we turn up at the door, so I'm assuming we aren't. Now we are again. I, I think, we're, well, I mean, and then by definition, we have to be his other cousin. So two cousins interested in the crime solving. Exactly. Lestrade looks a little embarrassed. Well, sir, I may not have stated matters with the exactness that you have right to expect from me mr holmes did not take the case because the murdered man was a blackmailing victim and mr holmes therefore assumed that the murderer had due cause as a representative of the law i cannot accept this assumption and since mr holmes cannot possibly know the identity of the killer he cannot certain be certain rather that the killer had any justification at all you're not a little to encourage his discussion. But there it is, sir. Will you take the case? Check deduction six. And very well, Mr. Lestrade. You say slowly. I'll take this case with the understanding that I will consult with Mr. Holmes before I tell you whom I think is guilty. The police detective considers this and then nods. I suppose I must agree to that, as I have tried to deceive you. Now, tell me what we know so far. Let me rather tell you what we know so far. <laughs> Intuit what you know so far. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what's happened so far? Hey, you're so funny. <laughs> if you so know who did it, then what happened? <laughs> uh, you lean forward in the growler as Lestrade speaks. Uh, one sec, I'm trying to figure out what the deduction from the previous Yeah, what is the deduction there? Was. What, what did we figure out? We uh, took that Holmes case? cannot possibly know the identity of the killer. I guess that, that it was about a blackmail? Yeah, a blackmail villain, it said. There we go. Blackmail, uh, justified killing. There we go. Up to 144. Yeah. And to be clear, well, never mind. Whatever. 144. You lean forward in the growler as Lestrade speaks. The murder victim is Mr. Charles Augustus Milliverton of Appledore Towers. He was killed last night by two men who entered his study last night around midnight. The men fired off a half dozen shots into Milverton's chest and burned many of his papers. 
The servants were naturally aroused by the shots and the killers fled through the garden. They made it all the way over the wall, just to head of Milverton's men. In fact, the undergardener got a hand on one of the killers for a moment. I'll allow you to interview the staff and go over the grounds yourself. I know Mr. Holmes insists he sees the evidence for himself rather than hear a description of it from me. Very well. I think the two men did it. Yeah, yeah, you haven't checked them two men? Maybe then. <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> the ones, yeah. Very, the ones That's who shot incredible. him with the guns. How would you figure that out? Uh... Well, first of all, are we sure he's dead? <laughs> <laughs> Very well, you agree. Oh, there we go. What? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying, finding the right page again. No, I thought I missed. But you said that, that Mr. Milverton was a blackmailer. Can you tell me anything more about his activities? Lestrade hesitates, then nods. That is one of the major problems of this case. We have strong reason to suspect that Milverton was involved in the blackmail of many people high in society, the very cream of the upper class. But it did us no good. The man was too clever to allow, uh, allow us to uncover evidence of his misdeeds. You must be careful when you search for those with a reason to kill him. Many of his victims will be so pleased that when they read of his death and will be anxious to hide their connection to him. You may have an advantage as an unofficial agent. They may talk to you, knowing that you can be more discreet than the police. You may be forced to use my name as leverage to make some of them talk. Threaten them with a visit from me if they don't cooperate with you. Lestrade smiles a little. You try and order your thoughts to begin a scientific investigation of what happened last night. The growler rumbles to a stop, and the driver opens the door for you and Lestrade. Eppledore Towers, he announces, and you descend outside the gates of the estate. Turn to 559. Appledore Towers is a rambling mansion with the numerous garrets and other decorative features popular with modern architects. Extensive grounds surround the house, including a tree-filled park and formal gardens, a gravel drive running up from the gate to the main door, and the fierce barking of a large dog that concerns you for a moment, but your fears vanish when you see that the beast is securely leashed, and a very good boy. As you can see, the house is very grand, Lestrade says. Mr. Melverton did very well in his dealings as a agent. We've changed nothing except for the body has been taken away to the morgue. I think you should probably examine the grounds first. It was a heavy frost there last night, and the men have left some marks behind them. They definitely cannot last indefinitely with the sun grown stronger and all. You nod in agreement. Lestrade's suggestion makes good sense. Then the detective introduces a man who is waiting just inside the gate. The stranger is a large, immensely dignified man, flawly dressed in the black suit of a butler. This is Mr. Silversmith, Milverton's butler. Butler? Lestrade, Lestrade says. He will accompany us to answer any questions you have about the arrangement of the house or the grounds. You thank the butler for his assistance and begin to study the area around the gates and driveway. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. Need a six or higher? That the butler did it? We the butler a... is holding a bloody knife. <laughs> the butler is holding two guns and is also two men. <laughs> the butler is holding the head of the victim. <laughs> hmm. That might be related to the case. Let me write that down. The butler is shooting the corpse of the man. Still. He's mm, not I stopped. can't tell anything from this. He is not stopped. 
Let me. <laughs> this is all post mortem. We don't know if he fired the killing shot. <laughs> is it tacky? Yes. Is it murder? Unsure. Uh, I rolled a seven plus one. We needed a six. We got an eight. So we are successful. The drive consists of gray gravel, packed and rolled firmly to make a surprisingly smooth surface. Neither the driveway nor the grass beside it show any clear footprints. Then you take another look at the drive. While most of its width is gravel, on each edge there's a six-inch border of tiny colored pebbles, carefully placed to produce bands of different colors. At two or three of the places, they show signs of having been disturbed by someone's foot, but there's no distinct tracks. This is uh, patting the colored pebbles here. It's rather odd. You comment to Lestrade and the butler. Rather uh, attractive touch, I gotta admit. Oh, yes, sir. Silversmith answers. Yes, indeed. That was one of Mr. Milverton's fancies, sir. He was very particular about it, too, and insisted the staff take great care not to walk on the borders. I always hated him for that. That's why I killed him. Why? I could have... <laughs> I could have just shot him dead. Uh, check clue Let's, uh, A. Let's check intuition to see if we heard that. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, that's an, uh, uh, an 11 plus 1. That's a 12. We heard oh, it. Sorry, that was a 13 plus check. Oh, so we shoot. didn't hear that. We're going to have to act like we don't know. All right. Check clue A and turn to 138. I'm down for just like, okay, let me rephrase this. I'm down for a story about uh, just a murder in just a normal <laughs> house. <laughs> uh, sorry, I got to do my due diligence. The cops are listening. Mm, mm, mm. Theoretically, I'd be down for a murder in a normal house if it were in Minecraft. <laughs> ooh, 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 a different place. Not me, no. Uh, 138. But I do have someone in mind. Yes. In craft. <laughs> <laughs> Once you are satisfied that the drive will furnish no more information, Lestrade leads you to an area outside Milverton's bedroom and study. The police detective is very careful to walk along some boards laid close to the house and suggests you do the same to protect the multitude of tracks on the ground. A tiled veranda runs along the wall outside Milverton's rooms. Here, Lestrade stops and asks Silversmith to explain the layout of the grounds to you. And Butler agrees. This door leads into the master's study. There was also an entrance from inside the house. When we heard the shots last night, we tried the inside door but found it locked. We then circled back through the house out the front door and rushed to this area. Butler points, and you can see marks on the frosted grass made by the servants as they ran towards the veranda. Just as we neared the outer door of the study, Seversmith continues, one of us saw two men running from the far end of the veranda into the garden. We pursued them, but they seemed to know the grounds well and escaped over a wall before we could seize them. As the butler pauses, you consider which group of tracks you should examine first. The servant's tracks or the intruder's tracks? I'm just going to uh, drop a pin in something here, which is to say that the butler mentions that when they heard, we heard, right? So one is to assume that the staff of this building 
when they heard, they circled back through the house, out through the front door, and rushed to this area. As they neared the outer door of the study, one of them saw two men running from the far end, and then they got distracted by those two men from the far end. So it's possible that the other member of the butler's group was throwing them a wild goose. Very true. Uh, so, therefore, the servant's tracks are the intruder's tracks. Who's to say they're not one and the same? Mm. I mean, It'd be hilarious if they both went to the same page. Yeah, um, it does say first, <laughs> so it does imply that we get a look at both. So, Yes. Perhaps we should check the, the servant's tracks first. Yeah. We'll check that first. Oh, unless it said the sun's getting hot, maybe they would melt. Ooh. <laughs> 359. You begin to examine uh-oh. You begin to examine the tracks of the servants as they ran towards the study from the outside. Check decision one. Pick a number and add observation bonus. Add two to the roll if you checked clue A. We did. Oh, uh, one second. Which where is this? This is not the page I am on. Oh, 359? Servants? Oh, I was looking at 356 somehow. Uh, yes, we did check clue A, which is the pebbles are fancy. And uh, that uh, the owner does not want any of the staff to step on them. Well, I rolled a 10 plus 2 plus 1. We're at 13. So that's, unfortunately, that's none of these. It said 7 to 12. But I guess we'll go to 156 from rounding. Love it. Let's do it. 156. Using Holmes's techniques, you realize that Milverton's staff must have arrived in a desperate hurry. From the tracks, you determine that some were in slippers and others wore loose shoes, as though they had thrust their feet into them and run without taking the time to secure them. Suddenly, you bend closer to the tracks, shaken by a startling discovery. Amidst the... Tarks? <laughs> Wait. Amidst the Tarks of these, Manet. <laughs> Amidst the Tarks of these, Manet. You find the marks of a woman's shoes leading in the opposite direction, heading towards the front gate. As the servant's tracks cover some of the wooden woman's smaller marks, it's obvious that she left before they came running up. But the comparative condition of the tracks shows that there was little difference in time. Check off clue AA. If you've checked off clue A, turn to 472. If you check decision 1, 602, we've done, done both, right? We have done both, yes. I think we start uh, with the top, maybe? So, yes. I think we should go with the top, because decision one is marked by the thing that gets us to this page anyway. Whereas yeah. uh, the clue A was a success on a previous roll, so it seems like it's the harder of the two to get. Yar. Or 72. Looking more closely at the woman's tarks, you discover a few of the small pebbles that formed the ornamental border of the drive. This confirms that your deduction that the woman must have been a stranger. Check off clue B. And then if you check decision one, turn back to 602. Gotcha. Okay, so we, yeah, made the right choice. Sick. Impatient with all the delays, Lestrade leads you to, along the veranda, to the beginning of the suspect's trail. Erase your check on decision one and turn to 381. Wow. I, oh boy. I'm just going to be writing it directly over the top of check servants interesting trying to remember every bit of advice that sherlock holmes ever has given you on the art of tracking you begin to trace the path of the two suspects in the frosty grass pick a number and add your scholarship a thing we are now okay at let's go 
That's a that's a ten plus one. But if it, we were playing Johnny Curb Stomp, that would be a failure on the top roll, which is the highest roll. So mm-hmm. six thirteen. We learn good. We learn good. Book good. And also, this is the <laughs> other of the tracks, right? It was the yeah. the yes. uh, the staff or the suspects. So yar. You identify the marks of each of the two men. You find that they were wore rubber-soled shoes and that the marks are not distinct enough to identify the men. Oh. <laughs> the shoes are not... By studying the marks of each man, you realize that one of them was tall with a long stride while the other was probably of medium height with a shorter stride. As you trace their path to the wall, it becomes clear that the taller man was in the front of the other man, since the shorter man's marks overlap the others in a number of places. How do you know they weren't just stepping on the same spot at the same time? Huh? How do you know that Jesus wasn't carrying both of them and walking on four <laughs> legs? How do you know that the two, yeah, the two tracks in the sand didn't turn into one track in the sand? What about Jesus? As you near the wall, you turn and look back towards the house. You're impressed immediately by the taller man's knowledge of the grounds of the Appledore Towers. Mm. Though running in the dark, the tall man chose a route that used the cover effectively and also led the other man to the wall as quick as possible. Turn to 594. Almost as if they are familiar with the grounds like a butler or something. Like a butler would be. Get that butt. Blur. The tracks of the two men finally come to the wall that separates the grounds of Appledore Towers with from Hampstead Heath. Here, the tracks of one servant come up from a different angle, and the end marks in end marks indicating that the servant took a fall. The wall is strongly built of stone, about six feet tall. The top of the wall is covered with pieces of broken glass along most of its length. At the point where the tracks end, the glass has been knocked off the wall onto the ground on the other side. You realize that if anyone crossed the walls to enter the grounds, he must have dislodged some glass. If you circle the walls to see if they were crossed at any other point... 382, if you cross the wall yourself and follow the intruder's trail across Hampstead Heath, 455. So what are we learning from this passage? Here the tracks of one servant come up from a different angle, and in marks indicating the servant took a fall. Top of the wall is covered in pieces of broken glass along most of its length. The point where the track sends the glass has been knocked off of the wall onto the ground on the outside, so for safe passage, you realize anyone could have crossed the walls to enter the grounds, he must have dislodged some of this glass. Um, so they jumped hmm. over the wall, and when they did that, they broke the glass. Seems to be yes. the implication. I mean, we might as well check and see if there's any other points, because it seems like the other thing takes us to a new locale. Sure, let's right? do that. I don't know. 382 was that? Yar! You circle the wall that surrounds the estate, but you find that the glass was not disturbed at any other point. The intruders must have slipped in quietly at the gate. Check decision two. Follow the intruders across the heath, 455. If you return to the house, then turn to 398. So around the estate, the intruders must have slipped in quietly. Good ride. So they were being pursued by the servants. One of the servants fell at a certain point, and the servants climbed out over the wall? Is that what we're led to believe from these past two passages? Because if the intruders came in through the gate, oh no, slipped in quietly at the gate and they escaped over the top of the fence. Yes. Got it. All good. Uh, follow the intruders across the heath. Let's do it. 
You walk along the wall a few yards and to get well clear of the intruder's tracks, then brush away the glass and pull yourself over the wall. Grunting with exertion, Lestrade follows. I will await you at the house, if I may be of any further help. Silversmith calls from across the wall. You return to the spot where the intruders cross and search the ground for any signs of their crossing the heath. If you have checked decisions 1 and 2, 471. If you have checked either decision 1 or 2, 182. If you checked neither. So we have checked them, but... They, it would be whether or not it is currently checked. Yeah. Uh, and clue number one is not currently mm. checked. I think maybe that was like effectively a, maybe a timer of, of like, yeah. has the, the snow started to thaw? I guess so. 182 then? Mm-hmm. As you study the intruder's tracks, you see that they have begun to fade from the sun. Raps, it's finally happened. Mm-hmm. We've we've gotten a thing. It'll not be as easy to follow them across the heath. Pick a number and add your observation bonus. That is going to be a six plus one puts us in the middle category. There's a two to five, a six to eight, and a nine to twelve. So we're in the middle mm-hmm. category of a four fifty boo. From marks by the wall, you see that one of the men fell on his way down. You wonder whether he hurt himself in the accident. When you attempt to follow the footprints across the heath, you quickly lose the trail and can't find it again. You learn nothing more here. Turn to 387. You decide that you found everything you could by studying the intruder's trails across the heath, and with Lestrade accompanying you, you return to the gate and re-enter the grounds to continue your investigation. If you have checked off decision two, turn to 325. We have, right? We have indeed. That is the checking of the entrances. You make your way back to the veranda and look over to the scene once more. You wonder if there's anything else outside that you need to look at. If you check decision one, turn to 371, otherwise turn to 129. Well, I mean, we haven't checked decision one, unfortunately. Interesting. What made us uncheck? Okay, so that would be if we checked the servants' paths and then we didn't leave the area. If we decided to stay near the house, I believe we would still have checked decision one. Gotcha. So yeah, it's a timer. Mm Mm-hmm. You begin to go over the area marked up by the footprints of the staff running from the front door. Fortunately, while the sun has begun to burn off the frost, the shadow of the house and wall have shaded this area. Pick a number and add an observation bonus and another plus one if you have clue A. Which we do. That's the fancy pebbles. Oh, the fancy pebbles will seal it. <clears throat> that is going to be, okay, so seven plus one plus one. Oof. That brings us to 9, which is what we needed. So 156. The pedals have it. Using Holmes' techniques, you realize that Milverton's staff must have arrived in a desperate hurry. From the tracks, you determined that some were in slippers, others wore loose shoes. Wait. What? Hang on. What's going on here? Huh. Uh, suddenly, you're being close to tracks, shaken by the starting discovery. Woman's shoes lean the opposite direction. Check off clue AA. Okay. So that's the same entry we got earlier. If you checked clue A, oh, it's the same page, which would, yeah, exactly, which would immediately get us back to the check that gets us double A, as well. So let's go to six oh two. Wait, no, because we have we don't at one forty nine, I guess. Yeah. Stiff from bending over the tracks, you stand up and stretch. Turn to three seventy one. Once more, you look over I think the ground. It's possible we. I think it's possible we misfollowed something there, but 
maybe we've also seen a lot of the area already yeah i feel like the removal of the decision one goofed something a little once more you look over the grounds and then nod satisfied you've checked everything outside that you could think that could provide you with a clue when you tell lestrade this he smiles and nods grimly and asks silversmith to join you well he says you'll have much more inside to catch your eye come around to this side of the house he adds leading you around a corner We'll enter along the route used by the intruders. Lestrade leads you to a greenhouse. There's a hole cut in the glass of the greenhouse door just above the lock. Hey, uh, where does that door lead? You ask Silversmith. The greenhouse is attached to a parlor. He explains. A passage on the other side of the parlor leads to Mr. Milverton's study and bedroom. You thank him and look more closely at the burglarized door. Pick a number and add scholarship. Only needing a seven, getting a nine. For Vivi. You see that the intruders cut the glass out of the door, then reached through the door hole to open the lock from the inside. The intruder made the cut very cleanly and smoothly, and then picked just the right spot to open the, on the door. Look closely at this, Mr. Lestrade. You say, feeling a little bit of excitement. Would you agree that this is a, a very neat, almost professional piece of work opening this door? Someone knew exactly what he was doing to open it like that. So he did, so he did. The inspector agrees. An unusual talent for a gentleman. If I am correct in my opinion, that he was a blackmail victim seeking to destroy evidence or have revenge. You think for a moment and then ask. Could the uh, intruders have been burglars hired by a victim or victims of Mr. Milberton to obtain the compromising papers he held? Lestrade shakes his head. I had considered the possibility, but it would not make sense. If you, yourself, had already been blackmailed, you'd hardly put yourself in the hands of another criminal by hiring him to do such a job. The murder works against our theory also. A professional burglar would have maybe knocked out Melverton, but burglars seldom carry guns. The noise hardly suits quiet theft, and most of them have a wholesome fear of the rope. Turn to 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 once you've finished looking at the burglarized great work by the way door you open it and the butler leads you into the house the heat and the humidity of the greenhouse makes you feel dizzy for a moment then silversmith opens the door to the parlor lestrade and the butler stand aside while you examine the floor and furniture you vaguely wonder how Milverton managed to fit so much furniture into the space. There seems to be an excess of tables and chairs. Every table and shelf in the place is filled with vases, ceramic figures, Funko Pops, and other bric-a-brac. The marks in the carpet are too indistinct to reveal anything. You move the, to the connecting passage and see the footprints. Faint, sorry, faint though they are, lead straight to another door. What door is that? You ask Silversmith. The door to Mr. Milverton's study, sir. The butler answers stolidly. You ponder further questions, then step back into the parlor. Uh, Mr. Silversmith. You continue. Has any of the parlor furniture been pushed out of place? The butler looks over the furniture and his face screws up. Then... Everything seems to be as it should. He finally answers. Certainly nothing has been knocked over or pushed far out of place. Pick a number and add observation. Needing a seven. 
Rolling a 10. We're popping off. That's a 168. Incredible roll so far. Oh, thank you so much. I've tried really hard. I've been working on the wrist technique. It's showing. We've that was a six only plus got one. Only result in one of these so far. That's a six plus one. I see one thing. Uh Oh, shoot. Where were we? Uh, 168, oh, I believe. You, you tell the others. The tracks here are very faint, but someone obviously knew the house very well indeed. He led the way straight through the parlor without knocking into anything and then turned down the passage and then went into Mr. Milverton's study without a moment of hesitation. Now, let us see what the study will reveal. With a nod of agreement, Lestrade leads the way into the murder scene. Check off deduction 7 and turn to 356. Lestrade opens the door and turns on the electric light. Good distinction. In its glare, you look over the room where a man died the night before. The study is a medium-sized room, comfortably furnished. You guess that the curtain doorways across from you leads into the bedroom. A door in the outer wall leads to the veranda. A large fireplace is next to the door, and partially open curtains beyond the fireplace reveal an alcove formed by a bay window. In the center room stands a large, flat-topped desk with a turning chair of red leather. A bookcase rests against the wall, while a tall, green safe stands in one corner, its door open. Oh, uh, where was the body? You ask Lestrade. Uh, Melvathan lay in the middle of the room. The detective answers, pointing to the exact spot. The one door leads outside, where the portrait leads to his bedroom. We've not really touched the safe or the desk, except to note that the safe was almost empty. You begin to search the room, studying the carpet where the body was found. Pick a number and add your observation. I mean, that's a nine plus one. I, I get it. Okay, that's a. I mean, that's a four. That's a seven. I just want to see if I can roll bad. That's a nine. That's a ten. I just weighted dice. That's a seven. Don't roll all the luck out of that's them. That's a we nine. Need that. That's a six. That's seven. There's a five. That I, I, I basically can't roll bad right now. It's crazy. All right. That's a that's a success. That's a 402. It's my lucky day. I'll take it. I'll take it. I need a win. The carpet reveals grim the carpet reveals grim evidence of the crime. It's stained in spots with blood. If we weren't if we weren't observant, would we just not see the blood in the carpet? <laughs> I guess that must be a new kind of pattern. Interesting. <laughs> anyway, back to my hunch. <laughs> you can see that the man writhed in agony as he died. You consider the position of the marks, then nod. It looks to me. You tell Lestrade. As though Milverton wasn't really standing here when he first got shot. He staggered to, from the area of his desk, he fell over around here, rolled over there, and finally died. The pattern in the bloodstains shows that he was rolled on the floor. He must have been by the desk when he was knocked by the floor. Sorry, knocked to the floor by the bullets. And as he staggered to his feet, he was shot again. Then he collapsed on the carpet. Possible. Lestrade agrees. But of what use is it? Spurred by his tood, you return to your investigation on 623. That's a lead dude. <laughs> you turn your attention to Milverton's desk. The marks of the blood on the desktop show that Milverton fell across the desk at some point in his suffering. Many of the papers on the desk are crumpled as though a dying man grabbed them in his agony. A cigar, smoked near to the end, sits in an ashtray. Its butt shows that it's burned out and not only, and was not put out by its smoker. A legal document lies among the other papers, and the arrangement of its sheets indicates that it was put down partially red. Pick a number and add your intuition. Four plus one, eight. Worth noting, I guess, 
no, no, never mind. No, it's the four plus eight. All right. Four plus four, four. plus one? Do we fail this no, roll? Four plus four plus one. Oh, okay. 253. I mean, there is a little to deduce from this as well, just in case it doesn't give us on the next one. Uh, the cigar smoked to its end sits in an ashtray, but it was burned out and not put out by its smoker, which would assume that this person did, and also, you know, halfway through reading a document, uh, Mr. Milverton was not ready to die. He didn't know this was about to happen. He had no indication whatsoever. Yeah. 253. You look across at Lestrade, a little bit surprised. It seems very odd. You say? According to your theory, Melvathan came in, surprised the intruders, and they were shot by him. However, the evidence of his death indicates that he sat here for a real long time reading the document, and the ash from the cigar shows that he was there for a while. Do you expect us to find him asleep? Lestrade suggests. He usually turned in early. Instead, the men walked in and found Mr. Milverton sitting at his desk. In their surprise, they shot him without thinking of the consequences. Hey, yeah, but how was he dressed? You ask. Uh, he was wearing trousers, a shirt, a smoking jacket. The inspector answers. The intruders did not rouse him from bed unless he was calm enough to dress before coming out here to confront him. You consider Lestrade's conclusions and then ponder your next step. Check deduction three, and do you want to search the desk or leave? I'd like to search it. 596. You sit in Milverton's chair and begin to go through his, his desk. <laughs> and you begin to fake smoking, and then you begin to fake getting shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great work, Holmes. Incredible object work. <laughs> Opening the various drawers and compartments in turn, trying to be careful and methodical, and aside from the usual writing equipment, stationary other paraphernalia, one usually finds an abysmusman, abysmusman's desk. <laughs> you find something unexpected. A loaded gun. Two or three other legal documents similar to the one at the top of the desk, some letters, and an appointment book fill the top drawer. Lestrade tenses with impatience as you glance at these things and then growls. Uh, what page are we on? 596. 596, okay, I was almost there. Uh, and then Grouse. You're not gonna read all those bloody papers, are you? It'd take half the day and all the night. To avoid irritating him, you decide to only read one of them thoroughly. The legal papers, the letter, or the appointment book. Mm. Uh. Well, so personal communication, one is to assume from the letters... Uh, the legal papers include, assumedly, the one that he was halfway through reading when he was put to trial. Um, the appointment book obviously would give us a little bit more contact about, uh, or rather, a little bit more information about who he was in contact with at the period of time. Man, all of these seem very useful. I don't think there's a wrong decision here. Yeah, it sucks we can't read. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely curious what he was reading as he got shot because mm -hmm. maybe it was the kind of thing where it's like it seems like it was a very abrupt shot so maybe it was like oh he has the papers he's gonna find out that blank sure but what would he be able to do about it in that period of time like i wonder if it's more likely that the papers aren't involved the mm -hmm. the legal papers rather all right I'm, I'm i'll follow you to the ends of the earth as long as it's one of these three pages 
the letter or the appointment book. I'm still open to the legal papers for the I'm not anymore. Just... I'm not okay, anymore. Cool. It, it, it just seems like the most likely to be less relevant than the others. Um, a letter has only one person, whereas an appointment book has a lot more leads. Let's go with the appointment book. Okay. So six hundo. You pick up Milverton's appointment book and flip through it. By chance, it opens near the back, and you shiver at the appointments for today and tomorrow and early next week, appointments that will never be fulfilled. Sounds like a dream, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Then you look at yesterday's notes. At noon, Milverton met his solicitor. At six in the evening, he visited a friend. Then you see another note. Midnight. Made to Countess d'Albert. Future business. You read it to Lestrade. An odd time to have an appointment? The inspector mutters. And an odd person with whom to meet. Perhaps the maid had the possession of papers compromising her mistress and wanted some sort of secret meeting. You're not in agreement. Check clue D. If you've checked deduction 3 to 70, have we? Uh, deduction 3? Yes. Milverton was caught unawares. Mm, 270. 270. I guess that explains why Mr. Milverton was sitting up late. You say? You say, in quotations. The document on his desk didn't appear to be fascinating enough to hold his attention at that hour of the night. Turn to 318. I mean, interesting. Maybe that confirms that the other one was kind of a red herring? Confirms the other... The legal uh, paper that he was reading. It seems it to me. It, it, it at least, yeah, I was saying it's not, it, it wasn't interesting, yeah. I, I could see I could definitely see that basically confirming it. Wondering if there's other interesting appointments, you leave quickly through the book and in spite of Lestrade's relentlessness, pick a number, roll observation bonus. Well that ain't gonna do it. It's finally <gasps> happened. That's a three plus one, we needed an eight. If we're gonna fail, at least we're gonna fail hard. So mm -hmm. spectacularly. Four eighty seven for eighty seven failure. You're unable to find anything else of interest in the notebook, and glancing at Lestrade, you drop it back into the desk drawer and turn to 216. Why is he so impatient? This is a, it's a murder investigation. What are you trying to do? Discover evidence? Get yourself clues? Solve a crime? What are you trying to do? We're just here to point the finger at someone and then go back home. We're doing them vibes alone. Leaving the desk. This is a vibes-based detective agency over in Scotland Yard. <laughs> Leaving the desk, you glance around the study, wondering what to examine next. If you look at the bookcase, 504. If nah, the strut is rubbing off on you, then 478. Let's check out that bookcase. <laughs> what? You... <laughs> Wait. What? If it just stopped at the second... You... No, you'll you'll see by the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> you approach the bookcase and examine it carefully. It's a solidly made piece of furniture filled with a variety of books. A bust of Athena sits atop the case, and you look around it carefully and satisfy yourself that nothing is hidden behind it. If you search the books one by one, turn to 461, otherwise 478. I want to oh. look Lestrade dead in the <laughs> eyes, both eyes, and just raise books up in between our glance as I look at them. I don't want to break gaze. <laughs> uh, God, oops. I want to sound out each <laughs> syllable in front of him. I mean, I, I mean, I'm down. 
but also it does it really is written like like a this is a bad idea and if this was a goosebumps book i'd be like oh that means we should do it <laughs> i do like the idea that lustrade's like right no i'm killing you <laughs> game over uh what do you want to do do you want to be a punk to lustrade okay. yeah forces you want it's punk time punked you take every book from the shelf and flip through it most of the books seem to deal with business estate management or law though there's some literary classics mixed among them you notice that Milverton had a fine collection of guides to the old families and great names in society, very valuable tomes for a man in Milver Milverton's nefarious business. There's nothing hidden in any of the books. Turn to 478. Damn. You return to where you... Okay. Turn to 478 and be putting the book down and just see Lestrade's fist coming at us. <laughs> you see nothing else ever again. You die. You return to where you started, look at the door to the passage that leads to the parlor and hunt for any marks left by the intruders. Pick a number and add observation. That is good. That's a six plus one. That's a barely. That hits us. Uh, uh, we need a seven. We get a seven. 373. As you examine the door to the passage, you note that the lock has been strained as though someone in the passage tried to force the door when it was locked. However, when you point out to Lestrade and Silversmith that the, the butler has a ready explanation. That would be our doing, I believe, sir. He says, After we heard the shots last night, we came inside to help the master, but the villains had locked the door from the inside. In the narrow passage, we could not gain the leverage to force it open, and we strained it only a little. Satisfied that there's nothing more to learn here, you turn to Milverton's big safe, 349. That sounds like a spell from D&D, Milverton's big space, Leoman's <laughs> tiny hut, modern kind of magnificent mansion. <laughs> uh, the safe is a tall, strong unit. An absolute unit. Painted green unit with brass <laughs> knobs and hinges gleaming in the light. It's big enough to have held many papers as well as money and securities. Even a glance shows that the door was forced open. Inside, you find that the compartments containing money and other valuables have not even been disturbed, but sections designed for papers are empty. Uh, did you know if Mr. Milverton kept papers in here? You ask Silversmith. Yes, sir. He answers. He considered some of his business papers very confidential and stored them here. Pick a number and add your scholarship. Whoa! That's a six plus one. That's a seven. We do not get the nine we need. Feels like it would have been a good one. It does. It does indeed. I'm almost trying to deduce what we can't deduce here, which yeah. is not helpful. Actually, this safe could not store papers. It is not the right temperature. If, if, if after a certain amount of hours they would warp the words and turn it into mush. It would... The papers wouldn't be able to breathe if you put them here. Uh, what are they going to do? Inhale, exhale is not going to be possible. you got to crack it open a little. <laughs> you got to put some air holes in this safe. Anyways. You examine the safe door and the lock, and its lock a second time, studying the marks carefully. You can see that the safe was attacked whoa. with a variety. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm what? sorry, but I believe we failed that roll. This is the correct one. Yes, 172 is what you're looking for. Don't worry. Nothing uh, was said. Sorry, what was the page? 172? 172. It was attacked. You learn nothing of interest from the big safe. <laughs> Nothing at all. The Can't blunt... see any uh, marks of attack here. Yep. 
the bluntness of this sentence. You, there's nothing of interest from the big safe. Turn to 193. Delete memory. Delete memory. From the safe, you cross the room to the door that leads onto the veranda. The key is in the lock on, wait, the key is in the lock on the outside. So the door is unlocked now. Servicemith tells you that when the staff returned uh, from pursuing the intruders, they found the door locked from the outside. He opened it then to, to see what had happened to their master. You examine the door, but you cannot tell if it was locked when the intruders entered the room. You wonder what other secrets might be hidden in the study. You look at the big fireplace. Could it hold a clue in this puzzling case? Examine the fireplace or... Nah. 273. You want to look at it, right? Oh, absolutely. My, yeah. I will always want to look at the thing. Look at the thing or do nothing. Like, they don't... They're not providing us with a, a good out. Or, you know. like, And I don't think they want to. Mm-hmm. You begin to examine the fireplace. The flames are out now, but from the remaining pieces of wood, you can see that it must have been a big, fine fire at its best. Charred remains of the burnt papers rest in the fireplace. Scattered on the logs are a bit of wax that must have come from some of the burned papers. You look through the ashes, but none of the papers, none of the papers is readable. Pick a number to add your scholarship bonus. Well, that's an 11. That's a success. Needed a 7. Got an 11. Yes. 401. This seems impactful. Yar. While the papers were thoroughly burnt, they were not broken up with a poker. Whoever burned them must have just threw them by the armload into the fire. Must have been burning very well indeed to destroy the papers, as the intruders did not have time to see what, see that the work was done. Check off clue F and turn to 527. Hell yeah, it's been a while since we've checked off a clue. I'm keen to. 529. You have gone over the entire study except for the bay window near the fireplace. The curtains are partially open. Do you examine the window or... Nah, not interesting. Mm. 165. Yes, 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 yes. You examine the bay window, and when the curtains are closed... Sorry, I just had a vision of just the read-through avoiding literally everything. Mm -hmm. What would that look like? No, thank you. Would you like to... No, would you like to... No, thank you. You're going to get to the end of the case, and Holmes is going to be like, well, do you want me to explain to you what happened? <laughs> and you'll have to accept. I guess so. Uh, but yeah, you examine the bay window. When the curtains are closed, the protruding windows form a small hidden alcove. You examine the curtains, the window frame, and the carpet to see if there's any evidence. This is a triple check. There's a 2 to 5, 6 to 8, 9 to 12, and I'm happy I mean, there's a triple check. I'm going to tell you what it's going to tell us. Yeah, it was there. If when the curtains are closed, between them and a protruding window is a small hidden alcove formed, what I believe happened here is that the men surreptitiously entered much earlier yeah. and waited for an appropriate opportunity when Mr. Milverton was alone and unawares in order to slay him and then leave. I would say so. Uh... But this is going to be a middle check. That's We got a six. Or I guess a six plus one, so it's a seven. Right in the middle Right in the middle of the middle check. So 151. Mm -hmm. In studying the bay window, you find that one of the curtains is torn near its rings, as though it had been cast open quickly. You point out to Lestrade and tell him, uh, You see, Mr. Inspector, the intruders must have hidden here behind this curtain and then dashed out so quickly as they tore the curtains down when they threw them open. As they dashed out to shoot Melvaton! Lestrade answers grimly. 
He must have suddenly caught sight of them, and they killed him before he uh, to gain the time to escape. Can you tell how long they were hidden there? Start the curtains and carpet and shake your head. Nah, I'm afraid I can't. You admit. Check clue CC for carpet and curtain, and turn to 476. So if they entered through the front door, and they had to hide here, and one of them knew the grounds very well, it seems like they are likely to be welcomed guests. Mm-hmm. Seems uh, the case. 472, sorry? 6. 476. 476. Keep up, and definitely don't hold this against me because I'm going to ask in probably, I'd say, less than five minutes mm -hmm. the same question. <laughs> That's fine. Great. Uh, love a devil standard, King. Uh, you have completed your examination of Milverton's study and consider further steps. Lestrade asks you if you want to search the bedroom as well. Do you want to search the bedroom or no? The bedroom. Do you, want, do you want to check out the bedroom as well? Do you want to walk around the greens? Do you want to inspect every petal and every flower? Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd probably help. Search the bedroom. Are you trying to get fresh with me? <laughs> do you want to come up for a coffee and search the bedroom? <laughs> yes. There might be clues. <laughs> On a date. Why don't you come back to my place? Are there clues? Uh, Lestrade is just lying in bed, daintily draped a single, single like <laughs> silk sheet over his body, and he's looking as we inspect every single note, every letter, every book in his entire house. Oh, come to bed. There's clues out here. You don't understand. I could figure out so many crimes. <laughs> Mwah. Uh, I ship it. You go through the portier and enter Milverton's bedroom. It reflects the fact that Milverton was a wealthy man who was accustomed to living in comfort. There's a large bed with a small table beside it, a big dresser, and an even larger wardrobe. And an even larger room. And come to think of it, an even bigger house. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the servant's corner for an even richer man. <laughs> an even larger man. Uh, the carpet and curtains are made of the finest fabrics, and the logs in the big fireplace are ready for lighting. You approach the bed, pick a number, and add your observation bonus. Seven, we get a... It's a spotless rod. <laughs> <laughs> you need a seven, we get a ten. <gasps> yes! 423. Four the bed is large and well-made, covered with fine sheets and warm blankets. The covers are folded back and the pillows fluffed, ready for their master to come in and lie down. The bed was not slept in the night before, but rather... No. Well? You comment to Lestrade. <laughs> Wait. Uh, it's all set up. Did Mr. Milverton <laughs> stayed up late last night? Strange, replies Silversmith. That is highly unusual. The master habitually retired at 10.30 every evening, sir. Check deduction four, turn to 3.93. My, um, my decisions and my clues get less uh, specific as we go on. Like, we went all the way from uh, the woman was a stranger, the pebbles on the border are fancy, to the current one, which is uh, Millie Nobed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been there. You glance at the bedside table. It's placed so that a sleeper could reach it without standing up. Yes, a bedside table. The top is clear and its drawer closed. Do you want to search the, clo the closed drawer? Or... I mean, like, no. <laughs> I always like when people keep their bedside table in their laundry. <laughs> yeah, just really <laughs> spice things up in the old home. 
I when I when I hate my guests, I take the bedside table in the guest bedroom and put it exactly out of arm's reach. <laughs> just just petulantly move it maybe like three feet too far. So you're like, this oh my god. You have to stand up for this, then what's the point? Uh <laughs> they would never dream of moving it back, you see. Yeah. Um oh hey yeah. Uh, Hey, Let's search hey, the drawer. Hey, Reps, hey, Reps, what page? What page? <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> 480. <laughs> it's almost like I was trying to set up for failure. <laughs> you pull open the drawer of the small table and find a handkerchief, a small bottle of cough medicine, and a revolver. Ooh. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> that was... Woo. Woo. <laughs> okay. A uh, quick examination reveals that the gun is loaded. Mr. Milverton must have entertained some doubts uh, about his safety, I guess. He had a gun by his bed and at his desk, and he still gets murked? <laughs> yeah. Nerd. I mean, like, you you can get the best tools in the world, but if you don't know how to wield them. But if you don't, if you're like, eh, it's better in the drawer. I might need They're to use all display it. pieces. He wouldn't bother firing them. Yeah, these bullets cost. You know, there's two fortress too. You comment that safety. Lestrade nods slowly. Yes, he did. Little good that it did him, though. His fears were well justified. Turn to three thirty. You look around the room, wondering whether any secrets are hidden here. The big dresser with its many drawers catches your eye. If you want to search the dresser, one fifty-four. Oh, the other one. Milverton's dresser is a big piece of furniture made of fine dark wood, carefully fitted and polished to a perfect shine. A cloth on top protects the surface from odds and ends, coins, a comb, a brush, a handgun, and other... No. And other small things a man might throw down when changing. <laughs> the drawers are well stocked with the supply of quality clothing, all carefully folded and organized. A box in one drawer contains cufflinks and other items of jewelry. Nothing seems unusual. Pick a number and add your artifice bonus, which is now not a minus two. And that does it. That's that's a that's an eight plus one. We get it in a nine artifice check. That's a success. We can finally see a success on an artifice check. That is so nice. Sorry, what's the success here? Five something? Forty one. Uh keep up. Five forty one. <laughs> uh you find nothing hidden in or under any of the clothing, but then you realize that one drawer seems more shallow than it should be. Well, another is not as long as you would expect from the depth of the dresser. Closer examination uncovers a false bottom in the shallow drawer, and while removal of the narrow one reveals a compartment hidden behind it. Both of these hiding places are empty, but they strengthen your view that Milverton was a man who had much to hide. Yeah. Could the blackmail? The guns? The... What made... Yeah. Turn to 582. I wonder if uh, we're supposed to draw from the fact that there are multiple guns around the estate in his uh, possible possession that the murder weapon may have also been taken from one of these locations in order to finish him off. Yeah, hell, could have been from here. But so, we didn't mark any uh, clues. Uh, you wonder whether you should go through the clothes in Milverton's wardrobe. If you try them all on one by one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See if any of them fits us. <laughs> if you search, well, he's not going to use them. If you search yeah, exactly. the wardrobe 339, otherwise 403, let's go shopping spree. Let's have a let's have a music montage of trying on dead man's clothes. Like a, you know, 
coming of age teen movie. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent ready for it. The wardrobe stands more than seven feet high and is made from the same beautiful dark wood as the other furniture. The top is empty and inside is filled with fine suits, evening and morning wear, and a piece. Uh, and other gentlemen's clothing. <laughs> Several pairs of shoes line the floor. Pick a number and add your intuition. Only needing a seven and only getting a seven. <laughs> 534. God, it's so nice to be a well-rounded man. If only I could relate. No. I did like that. That was a very relatable element of Johnny Curbstomp, that he was extremely specialized in one thing and it never affected anything in his entire life. Yeah. Absolutely uh, been there. Uh, hey, Raps. Mm. <laughs> what page? Uh, 534. And you're welcome. No, oh, thank you. That was very kind of yeah, you. see? <laughs> 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 hoping that Milverton might have left something useful in his clothes you go through every single one of them carefully searching all the pockets feeling the linings of any hidden pockets I was just laughing at going through each of them individually yeah <laughs> even take the trouble to feel the inside of his shoes however search uncovers nothing you close the wardrobe convinced that it holds nothing useful turn to 403 the only part of the bedroom you have not examined is the bath <laughs> examine it turn to 549 this is the most we've ever been asked this stuff. If you decide to test the bath, turn to 549. Detective Frank, what are you doing in there? I closed the door. I suppose I'm not too sad you're in there, though. <laughs> Just a bubble bath. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. The bath is neat, comfortable, and fitted with every modern convenience, as well as thick towels, fine soaps, and other paraphernalia. It's perfectly neat. Obviously, it has not been used since the maid cleaned it yesterday. You realize that the pristine condition indicates that Milverton never prepared to retire the night before. Lestrade agrees with your interpretation. Check deduction four. Haven't we already? We've already checked deduction four. That's Millie no bed. Oh, beans. You finish gathering evidence at Appledore Towers. If you, if you want confirmation of what the evidence means, turn to 167. Otherwise, 247. I mean... I mean, why not, right? I guess. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> what? <laughs> just now I have no interest in, just no interest in figuring out what I know? Is begin to... It's, it's more that uh, I, I skipped ahead to it, uh, presuming, and uh, I'm amused. Yeah, it's, it's pretty... <laughs> it's pretty hard to grok. Uh, you begin to consider just what you've learned from your investigation and what other steps your conclusions dictate. All right. <sighs> If you check deduction 5 includes G and D, or deduction 3, deduction 5 includes G, turn to 618. If you check lose G and D, or includes G and deduction 3, turn to 407. If you check deduction 5 include D, 425. If you check deduction 5 include G, turn to 467. Otherwise, just turn to 26886. So, they are looking for, uh, in, for the first check, 5 and G and D, or 3 and 5 and G, right? 5 and G and D, or 3 and 5 and G. Yes. Okay, so we do not have 5, which immediately uh, asks that. We also don't have clue G, which immediately asks the next one, which includes G and D, or G and deduction 3. And we've also not checked 5 still, so we can't do any, <laughs> either of the other two. We are on the otherwise option of this, because we found somehow so little. What on earth? 
How? I don't know. Five seems really important to this, and I... Oh, God. All right. If I had to guess, this would have been one of those situations where they give you, like, either G or D, and those give you deduction five, and it's just whether or not you got both of them. Yeah. So I think we're still only missing one positive check uh, that's not mutually exclusive with the rest. You think through the evidence, then shake your head. Oh, you've not uncovered enough evidence to reach any conclusions about what happened last night. Turn to 247. Interesting. You decide to, what to do next. It seems logical to interview. Or maybe it's kind of like that, uh, the one where if you solve the, you know, if we solve the cipher, you kind of get to skip skip ahead mm -hmm. of it. That seems like that's maybe a, like, hey, you kind of caught somebody a little red-handed here. But what would the cipher be? What What's the clue that we were so far unable to digest? Uh, my guess is it was just like if we got the, there was a set, a set where, like that one failed difficult rule where we mm -hmm. got a three and then we needed like a nine. And that was like, it was like yeah. three kind of tough checks in a row. Mm -hmm. If I had to guess, I'd say it'd be that. You decide on what to do next. Seems logical to interview Milverton's staff now, and you ask Lestrade if that is possible. It certainly is. Lestrade answers. I've given instructions for them all to stay here until they can be interviewed, whether it be tomorrow or this afternoon. Silversmith can find us a room. We can question them there. The inspector pulls out his watch and consults it. Time is flying by. Uh, Dr. Gordon, the police surgeon, is supposed to examine the body this afternoon. If you want to go see the victim yourself, you should go now. And leave the question for tomorrow. See the body, 409. Begin questioning the staff, 132. I I guess I feel like there's not as much to learn from the body right now. I kind of feel like that, but at the same rate, I feel like there's no expiry date on the staff as much as there is on the body. Unless they flee. Mm. Well, I mean, in which case, it's it's yeah. that one. <laughs> the one that's running away. <laughs> You'll never catch me for the murder. Oh, no. All right. I mean, I'm down to go to 409 so the body don't get too stinky. Yeah, let's do it. This body is too stinky. You cannot do anything. Damn it. Yeah, we might have to learn something by looking at that body. You tell Lestrade, and he agrees you take a cab to the morgue, a grim gray building near Scotland Yard. At least they keep the theme. It would be kind of strange if it was bright and colorful. The place has an atmosphere that makes you shudder. You wonder whether you would react this way if you didn't know what lay within its walls. A constable waiting by the door quickly leads you to the surgery where Dr. Gordon has been examining the body. The doctor is a tall, grim-faced Scott whose calm face and steady hands give the impression of competence and reliability. With hardly a word, he removes the sheet from Milverton's body. The victim was a short, stout, bearded man with a plump face and receding hairline. Okay. You guess his age to be between 40 and 50. Small holes of his wounds mar to the left side of his chest. There's also a slight scrape in his forehead. When you straighten up from the corpse, the doctor gives his report. Mr. Milverton was undoubtedly killed by six bullets to the chest. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> All six bullets were post-mortem. Mr. Milton was so shocked to be shot that he had a stroke and died. His old age and six bullets. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was the old age that finished him off. 
If he had worked out more, maybe his pecs could possibly have reflected the bullets. It's merely old age and bullets. I'm sorry to say, detective, that you need to arrest the entropic arrow of time. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, he's killed by six bullets in his chest, the doctor says grimly. They were fired from very close range, as there are powder burns on his shirt. It was homicide, with so many shots at such a range. Check decision eight. Yeah, I mean, if it's a... Uh... Apparently this wasn't accidental. <laughs> yeah, it's... If it's not like a, a self-report, we'll call it, you probably don't get six bullets in, you know? Mm, so, yeah, true. I do think... I, yes, I think six bullets, probably a homicide. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> this is great info. Check decision eight, and if you ask what kind of gun was used, turn to 155. I think we absolutely ought. Can you tell what kind of pistol he used? You ask Dr. Gordon. Yes, at least in general. The doctor answers. It was a small caliber pistol with a very short barrel. I am not sure whether it was a revolver or an old-fashioned paper box pistol. Whatever was used was very light and not very accurate. The shots were scattered from the close range and did not penetrate as heavy as slugs would have. One or two of the shots would have killed a stout man like Milverton, but not six of them would not have killed, rather, a stout man like Milverton, but six of them managed to do enough damage to finish him off. A woman's gun, then. Lestrade asks, and the doctor nods. An old gun from Mantis. The inspector continues. Well, perhaps they chose it so it could be easily hidden. Check off clue H and turn to 191. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you think over what Dr. Gordon has told you and how it fits with your other, other evidence. <laughs> uh, pick a number to add your intuition. Only needing a 6, getting a 9 for a 69. 241. Hey. Nice. You bend over the body and look more closely at the injury uh, on Milverton's forehead. Hey, what do you make this mark on his uh, noggin, Doc? You ask. Is it possible he was knocked out and then shot while he was unconscious, maybe? Pick a number and add your observation, needing a whopping eight and getting a whopping six. Uh, 151. I believe it's 157. <laughs> yeah. The hit wound! Dr. Gordon asks, surprised. Oh, that wasn't serious at all. It's just a little scream. He probably caught his head on some furniture when he fell. I shouldn't be concerned by it. You nod and straighten up from the body, turn to 390, hoping that that was true. As you walk away from the body, the attendants cover it with a sheet and take it away. You leave with Lestrade relieved to escape the grim atmosphere of the morgue, and Lestrade consults his watch, then says, uh, It's too late to return to Appledore Towers and interview the staff tonight. I shall pick you up at your lodgings in the morning if it suits you. You agree, and Lestrade strides off towards his office at Scotland Yard, and you return to your lodgings, hungry for your supper. If you check deduction 6, 288, otherwise... We did indeed. That was the very first deduction that we checked after uh, <laughs> questioning Lestrade. 
this is that the blackmail, uh, this person rather was an, an, uh, a villain of blackmail, and that perhaps the killing may have been justified. Okay. 288. Yeah. Once you've dined, you sit in your room and consider the events of the day. Concerned that you've taken a case that Holmes refused, you decide to visit him and explain your decision. You take a hansom to Baker Street, paying two shillings. Deduct two shillings from your character record. Mrs. Hudson shows you up to the rooms shared by Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. At your knock, Watson's voice invites you to enter. Good evening, cousin. He says pleasantly. What brings you to our... Oh, my, what's wrong? He asks, seeing your tense face. Holmes looks up from his book and studies you. You are very tense. The detective says slowly. You've come to see us quite suddenly. Yet you hesitated to knock both downstairs and while you stood at our door. You must have done something you fear will upset me and you wish to explain. You barely nod as Watson erupts. But Holmes, what could our good cousin possibly have done to upset us? Holmes thinks for a moment, then sighs. <sighs> I fear that he saw Lestrade today, and Lestrade obtained his help in an investigation of the Milverton murder. Our friend believes that I refuse to take the case out of sympathy for the killer, while his conscience tells him that he should warn me of his decision. His pride makes it difficult. You smile half-heartedly, and you find it unnerving that Holmes can see through you so completely. But this time his abilities save the need for long explanations, so slowly you explain how Lestrade insisted that you investigate the murder. It should never go unpunished. Holmes listens. Yes, I can see his viewpoint, even if I cannot agree in this matter. Milverton was such a loathsome creature that his removal amounts almost to a public service. But you are younger in this business than I am. And you must learn by experience that there are times when solving a case does more harm than failing to solve it. Sir? You ask a little puzzled still. Promise me. Holmes continues. That if you uncover the solution, come to see me before you tell Lestrade. And I, if I, rather, knowing all of the facts, insist that the result remain secret, you will respect my decision. Agreed. You agree to Holmes's demand. Check off decision 13... If you check clue E or O, turn to 353, otherwise 293. Unfortunately, we have checked neither of those. Yeah. 293. Have you made any progress on your investigation? Watson asks, curious as always. The papers mentioned that servants had almost caught two men who fled the scene. Have you been able to identify them? If you've checked deduction 10 to 11, if you check deduction 9 but not 10, turn to 332. Wow. Unfortunately, we've checked neither, so we're off to 357. Uh, how? Is this book finally punishing the whole search everything route? Is it finally yeah, punishing no that? Clue. You explain what you learned at Appledore Towers to Holmes and Watson, flattered by the rapt attention they pay to your comments. Turn to 485. You ponder the evidence for a moment, wondering how to uncover the evidence that will truly identify the two intruders. If you've checked clue N, turn to 579, otherwise 187. Good um, lord, 187, we don't have clue N either, what? Uh, you go home and quit. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder whether Holmes might offer some suggestion as to how to identify the intruders. If you ask Holmes for advice, 136, otherwise 277. Let's ask for any information he may have gleaned from this. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you had to identify the two intruders, how do you think you'd go about it, Mr. Holmes? You ask. He considers the question for a moment. 
there are two possible reasons for going to Appledore Towers. Either they were victims of Mr. Milverton's blackmail who wished to destroy the evidence, and perhaps Mr. Milverton as well. Or they were hired to go there and accomplish one task or the other. Hey, which do you think it possibly would be? You ask? Hmm. Probably it was a victim or a relative of a victim. He answers. If they were hired, they would have had to be men of greatest discretion and good character, or else the person who hired them would be trading blackmail by Milverton for blackmail by the intruders. And there are not very many honest and discreet men who are also skillful burglars. Watson laughs at the last comment and suggests that you talk of more pleasant things than the events surrounding a murder. To Sherlock Holmes, okay? Turn to 277. Could you please stop with all this mystery talk? It's just... oh. Oh, you put me off my dinner! <laughs> Your discussion of the murder concluded. You talk of other things for a while. Watson's very anxious about the increasing trouble with the Bowers, and admits that he's pleased that this one war is one war he'll miss. Wise of you, Watson. Holmes agrees. They say the climate of southern Africa can be more miserable than that of Afghanistan, but the world seems full of such troubles these days. Even if we manage to settle the South African problem in a reasonable way, I fear there will be no such solution in China. Trouble appears to be brewing there as well. Watson agrees, and the subject turns to literature, where Watson mourns the passing of Lewis Carroll and the breakup of the partnership of Gilbert and Sullivan. I say, Holmes, he adds, do you think they might collaborate on one more piece? Unlikely, Watson, he answers. They've never liked each other very much. Their successes hold them together, but since their last effort failed, we are likely to continue along their separate ways. We must be thankful for the work that such men did do, rather than mourn what they might have done. Besides, he adds with a dry chuckle, <laughs> the fewer writers in the world, the more readers left for the fantasies you based on my work. Watson flushes in momentary anger, then laughs. After a little more talk, you bid them a good evening and return to your own home. Turn to 311. We only turned up to get made fun of. Yeah. <laughs> you rise early the next morning and eat hurriedly, eager to continue your quote-unquote investigation. <laughs> oh. If you've checked decision 8, 437, we have, you're right. We have indeed. This was a homicide. <laughs> <laughs> he was shot. <laughs> I'm looking for a man with a gun. Hmm. Who here knows how to shoot a gun? Everyone, shoot me, and I will find out if you are capable. <laughs> Which of them shot me six times in the chest? Now pay attention, Watson. <laughs> you must wait, despite your eagerness, until Lestrade picks you up in a cab and returns you to Appledore Towers to interview the staff. It's a gorgeous day, though... Still crisp and cold as the driver turns into a drive. Wait, driver turns into the drive. Oh, interesting. Wait, did we yeah, fail? I believe, yeah, uh, eight. Eight was effectively uh, that we went and inspected the body. Yeah. Uh, rather than necessarily that it was a homicide. So we're coming back to interview the staff now. Yeah. As the driver turns into the drive, a huge dog runs up, barking fiercely. Mm. And the man pulls back on the reins until one of the staff calms the beast. Lestrade shakes his head a little. Ugh. Our burglars were fortunate, he mutters. If they'd encountered that brute, they never really would have made it into the study in the first place. Yeah. You agree thoughtfully? You know, it is odd that the dog didn't wake the house long before the gun was even fired. 
Lestrade leads you up to the house, greets Silversmith, and asks him for a room where he can interview the staff. The butler assures you that he is prepared for the request and has assembled a staff room for you. A staff for you. Turn to 465. I mean, this is just further confirmation that they must have gotten into the house earlier that day and then stayed behind the curtain in the alcove. Uh, otherwise, they would have gotten the dog uh, to wake when they were approaching. Yeah. Silversmith leads you to the small parlor and shows you... It, it, could also, it also might even... Uh, a little... I mean, I won't spoil the movie. But they, there's a, a movie where the fact that the dogs were friendly to the person mm-hmm. proved to a, a, an extent who it may have been. So yep. I think it could even also just be they're friendly to this person so they didn't bark. Uh, Silversmith leaves you a small parlor and shows you to a chair by a small table. The table has pens, ink, and paper for you to take notes as well as chairs for Lestrade and the witnesses. Whom do you want to see first, Inspector? The butler inquires. Lestrade consults a list. Uh, give us Green, the undergardener. He says. This is the man who almost caught one of the intruders. Lestrade explains to you. The undergardener is a typical servant, solidly built, stolid man in his early twenties. When asked, he tells his story simply. Well, sir. He begins. I was sleeping when suddenly I heard three or four loud bangs. Then Silversmith starts yelling for everyone to come quickly, the master might be in trouble. Uh, when I pull on my trousers, I stick my feet in my boots, and without stopping, lace them, even, and run to Mr. Milverton's study. The door was locked, so we went dashing through the front door and round the corner of the house. And we saw two men vanishing off in the far end of the veranda, and went running in that direction, thinking they were going to be impossible to catch. No way, we ducking through the garden so clever, it was almost impossible to follow them. Then, <clears throat> hey, then what happened? You ask? I got a look at one of them, and as they came out... <laughs> uh, you, you know when the shapeshifters' powers stop going, <laughs> correct? They just yeah. keep changing between different things. Oh, got one look at them as they came out from near the trees, near the wall. One was tall and thin, the other one was short and stocky. Uh, no, neither was just us. I yelled for the others as I ran up. The tall bloke just about jumped over the wall, he was so spry. The other one had to pull himself up and over. I grabbed his ankle, but he kicked me in the chops and was going over before I got back up. Pick a number and add intuition. That is a seven on the dot. We need a W. 428. Can you tell me anything special about the two men? You ask. You know, other than the fact that one was tall and thin and the other one was short and stocky. Oh, yes, sir. He answers. I got a good look at the one I grabbed. He was wearing a mask over his eyes, and he had a moustache and a strong jaw. When they was running... I could see that tall man was a very good runner, very smooth. The other man ran well for his size, but he had a bit of a limp. It didn't really show him up. There was something a little weird about how he ran. If you ask him about the dog not barking, 555, otherwise 305. Mm. You want to check it? Yeah, why not? 555. When we came here today, the dog was out in the yard and barking loudly. You tell the undergardener. You know, I'm surprised he didn't really attack any of the intruders. Oh, on most nights he would have. Green answers. But he was locked away in the basement when Mr. Milverton was killed. Why was he locked away? You ask quickly. I don't know, sir. He answers. I just know he was. I let him out in the morning. Pick a number and add your intuition. You need a seven, get an eight. Mm, mm, mm. I have a suggestion. 
Yar. I believe that these two people were let in as accomplices to one of the staff who was trying to cover for one of their relatives, right? So this is the synthesis of a bunch of different clues, including effectively exactly what Holmes said. Um, Yeah. Like, and that staff member also would have locked the dog away and also might have locked from the outside the, uh, the study so that Milverton couldn't escape. I, I think so, 100% there's a person on the inside and a person who's maybe not, like, there's a person, yeah, who works there, at least one person, who is completely fine with the murder. And, yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. here, how can, how can I be of assistance for your murder, madam? Or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, that, that's been my take as well so far. I like it. So we're headed to 240 after the successful uh, intuition there. Yar! Uh, it's a big dog. You comment, and Green agrees. And I can see that he's trained as a watchdog. Who could even tie him up? The undergardener pauses to think. Oh, well, now that Mr. Milverton's dead, there's not but four or three of us that could tie him up without a lot of noise and trouble. And who are they? You ask. Oh, I'm one. Uh, Yates, the groom, and Mary Jones, the housemaid, can always make that brute behave. Oh, and Helen, the kitchen maid, can manage him because she feeds him. I'm not sure whether he'd let her lock him up. Check off deduction 11 and turned up to be 05. Also, another thing I want to mention is he said he woke up and he heard three or four gunshots, mm. but not the six in the body. I wonder if it's possible that you know, he woke, woke up. up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he woke up in the process of it happening. Yeah. Uh, 305. You wonder if there's anything else that Green might be able to tell you that would be useful. Need an 8. Get an 8. We're on a roll. Maybe next time when they ask if we have stuff checked, we'll actually have something checked. 543. Yeah, no kidding. You wonder why the undergardener gave up his pursuit of the intruders at the wall rather than following them over. If you ask him why he stopped, 347. If you finish questioning, 146. So yes, this is going to be the servant who fell because he was kicked in the face by the stout man as he was trying to prevent him from going over. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what additional information we'll possibly get from this, but we intuited it, so let's do it. 347. Yeah, maybe he got a boost. Instead. Mm. Because of the limp. You were so close to the intruders, Green. You say carefully. I'm just surprised as all that you didn't, you know, follow him over the wall and across the heath. He stares at you and laughs. <laughs> Have you seen the top of the wall, sir? He demands. It's covered in broken glass, and I had naught but my shirt and thin trousers on. Besides, I don't want to follow him out in the open heath. Not when I knew they had a gun and was willing to use it. Turn to 146. That's a totally reasonable <laughs> approach, I think. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I think you did it. You thank Green for his help, and he seems to be relieved to be done talking with you. Lestrade consults his list and tells Silversmith that you'd like to ask him a few questions. You study the butler for a moment. Silversmith is a large, stout man with the immense dignity and stuffy calm typical of an ideal butler. His very presence is a little bit awe-inspiring. If you'd like to ask of his account of the murder, turn to 470. All right, 470. Back at it again. Let's do it. From uh, what you saw and said that you know yourself, what happened here on the night of the murder? You ask the butler. 
For the most, it was like any other evening, sir. As usual, I made sure all the outdoor, outside doors were properly locked at ten, except the one into Mr. Milverton's private study. He always locked that one himself. The master was playing billiards and having a cigar. After I locked him, uh, after I locked up, rather, I asked him if he needed anything. He told me no, and that I might go to bed, which I proceeded to do. I was sleeping soundly when I suddenly heard a series of sharp cracks, a pause, and then another. I recognized them as gunshots and realized that they'd come from my master's study. As I grabbed my robe and put on my slippers, I called for the staff to come down and help. We went down to the passage to the study and found the door locked. Then we ran around and saw two men running away. I looked in the study window and saw the master lying on the floor, so I shouted for the others to catch the intruders. But they were too quick. One got over the wall and kicked away across the heath. Green got a hand on one, but the man kicked free. You ask why the staff stopped the hall, turned to 200. Otherwise, don't. I mean, I love to ask. So uh, why did you stop your pursuit at the wall, though? You ask. Silversmith looks surprised at the question. It only seems sensible, sir. He answers. By the time the rest of us joined Young Green, the men had a good start across the heath. None of us was dressed for a long run across the heath, cold as it was, and none of us liked the broken glass on top of the wall, nor the men's gun, once we had a moment to think about it. I felt that we had to go and see to the master, uh, to see if something could be done for him. We didn't yet know if he was alive or dead. So you returned to this study? Lestrade asks. Yes, we did. Turn to 439. So, once you had to give up the pursuit, you returned to the study to see if your master was alive or dead? Yes. Silversmith confirms. Mr. Jenkins, the, secure, the secretary, rather, went in with me. The key was in the outside door, and we opened it and went in. Hmm. We could see at a glance that Mr. Milverton was dead. We looked around but didn't touch anything. His desk was disturbed as though he'd fallen across it, and the curtains across the window bay were partly open, which was not usual after dark. The fire was burning brightly with papers in it, and the safe was open. Pick a number and add in to Ishin. It's a seven plus one. That's an oh, eight, baby. which we needed. But let's analyze this. The door Absolutely. was sh shut with the key still in it, mm -hmm. which is just plus one to getting assistance from somebody who works there or lives there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that it was locked from... I mean, we already knew that it was yeah. locked from the outside, but yep. we know that the key was left there as yep. well. Curtains uh, open across the bay window were partly open. That we've kind of deduced as well, but not usual mm -hmm. after dark. Definitely seems... Yeah. Fire burning brightly, you know, because the fires were With in it. Papers or in the papers in it, also... <laughs> The <laughs> fires were in the papers, making yeah. them burn brightly. And then the safe was open, which, yeah, we, we, we didn't know all that, but... We did know the safe was open, and that's all we know about that safe. That's true. <laughs> 587. You consider Silversmith's comments. So, uh, what did these papers look like? You ask the butler. Why were they burning in the fireplace after midnight? They appeared to be letters. He replies carefully. The fire was too hot to allow us to look at them closely. Then why did you let them burn? You ask quickly. 
Oh, that was Mr. Jenkins' decision. He answers more easily. He said that we shouldn't touch or change a thing in the room, lest we impede the Yard's efforts to discover who murdered the master. Check clue J, turn to 178. Mr. Jenkins, perhaps, implied to be the assistant from the inside. Mm, with very, very, very comfortable letting those papers continue to burn. Yeah. Yo, it's, it's important that we let all the evidence stay here, comfortable, ready for Scotland Yard, so let those burn. So let that evidence not be here anymore. <laughs> they, they probably wouldn't be interested in that evidence. That's just going to be a red herring. Yeah. Yep. 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 In fact, let's, uh, you know what? Let's, we, we saw him about to be shot and we said, hold on. Don't, don't, don't mess with this. We'll, we'll mess up the evidence if we stop him from getting shot. <laughs> you know, actually, as it turns out, we walked in and he was like, oh, I need urgent medical attention. I believe I'm going to die. And, you know, we didn't want the, the evidence to be despoiled. So we shot him. Yep. He got shot five times. We did the last one because he was still alive. We thought, oh, oh man, he's Didn't trying to change anything about the crime scene. He's trying to leave the room. That ain't good. He's trying to leave the room and go to the hospital. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the chalk outline is going to look so much worse in the foyer. Yeah. Anywho, as you consider your next question, you realize you do not know much about the household routine at Appledore Towers. To ask Silversmith about it, 225. Yeah, or the other. Uh, Mr. Silversmith. You say searching for proper phrasing. I think it'd be uh, most helpful to us if you'd oblige us with a sketch of the routine of Mr. Milverton's household. You know, just what happens here on a daily basis. The butler nods on sure ground here. Yes, sir. That's the sort of question that it would make good sense to ask. Mr. Milverton demanded an orderly house, sir. Everything clean and polished, task completed on time, and the staff available if he needed them. In his business as an agent, he often traveled around London, sometimes on short notice, and he felt that an orderly home contributed to his efficiency. When he was home, he took his meals at the same time every day, and always ate well. He went to bed at 10.30 every night of the year, and always slept soundly. He was a man one could not wake up until morning, whatever one tried. I always locked the house at ten o'clock, so that I could tell him of any problems before he retired. And uh, what security arrangements did he have? You ask. Did he behave like a man afraid of anyone? Afraid, sir? No, sir. Not Mr. Milverton. He was a cold, hard man, if he needed to be, though a very good master to us. He kept a gun by his bed and another in his desk in the event that burglars should try and force an entry. And of course, he had the dog loosed in the grounds every night and the broken glass atop the wall. You make a note or two before asking. Uh, if anyone wanted to get at his papers, could they have entered somehow during the day? No, sir. Silversmith answers. Mr. Jenkins, the master's secretary, always spent the day in the office doing his work. He even took his lunch in there. You nod. A good picture of the household routine forms in your mind. If you check clue D, turn to 130, otherwise 134. Do we? We did check clue D, and that is the uh, schedule included that he was meeting the maid at midnight. Mm. You remember the late appointments that Milverton had the night he was killed? Uh, Mr. Silversmith. You ask? Was it? Particularly common for Mr. Milverton to have visitors very late at night, say, 
Midnight or later? Late visitors. The butler answers. Why, I don't know, sir. There were never any who rang the front door bell, but the master had a private entrance into his study. I was never even awake at that hour. I always turn in at eleven, and since I was a lad, I've always fallen asleep very quickly. Did he ever ask you to leave a door unlocked? Lestrade continues glancing at you. Did he ever give any special orders the night he did? He had no time to, no need, rather, to have the door unlocked. Silversmith answered. But some nights, maybe two or three times a year, he told me to have the men lock up the dog. In fact, he asked me to do so on the night he was murdered, but he never told me why, and it was not my place to ask. Of course. You agree. Silversmith's discretion certainly suits his position. Check clue I. And turn to 134. Huh, so he asked for his dog to be locked up. Yes, because he was expecting a visitor yes. through the secret passage at midnight. So he didn't want his maid to just get mauled by the dog. Yes, because it'd be a lot to clean up and there'd be no maid. Exactly. You wonder whether Silversmith knew anything of his master's unsavory business affairs, and whether he might have an idea of who wanted Milverton dead. If you ask him about the business affairs, turn to 147, otherwise 131 seems pertinent. It does. Let's do it. Hey, Mr. Silversmith. You ask? Were you privy to any of Mr. Milverton's business dealings, his work as a agent? Do you know of anyone who might have killed him because of his business matters? The butler's chin tilts upwards, and his eyes seem to glaze as he looks over to you. My master's business was hardly my concern, he says coldly. We both preferred it that way. Before you can ask anything further or change the subject, Lestrade cuts in. But you gotta know that he blackmailed people. The... What? Wrong person. But you must know that he blackmailed people. The policeman snaps. Do you have any idea of the identity of your victims? Sir, if I knew such a thing, I would be a criminal myself. I hardly think that is a proper question, even for a policeman. You try and think of another line of questioning. You ask about the other staff, turn to 457, otherwise 166. How dare you ask me if I committed a crime? That's not nice. <laughs> no, I want to commit a crime now. <laughs> you're, making me, you're making me want to commit a crime. I got a twitchy crime finger. <laughs> uh... 457. Hey, tell us about the staff. You finally ask. What sort of people you got working here? Servicemith's face looks as if it were carved from marble. I have no idea what sort of information you want, sir. He says coldly. If there were anything discreditable about any of Mr. Milverton's staff, we would have discharged them long ago. You wonder if he could get any more useful information from the angry butler. If you ask him about the dog, 414. If you're done with him, 268. You know, I think we actually did tread a foul. I think if we didn't ask that question previously, he would have been much more open to talking about his stuff. It seems... Yeah. It seems like this book might actually have repercussions for actions, unlike the other ones. Which is exciting. Which is good, but also bad here. <laughs> uh, should we bother trying to talk about the dog? Because maybe at this point, like, what is he? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think we've already ticked him off a little bit. It might make another roll harder later. I can't understand what we're going to get you know, as additional information about the dog. But if it's between that and being done talking to him, yeah. I think we should probably just push yeah. it. Push it, push it. 
I am surprised to hear that the intruders came near the house. What with so vicious a dog guarding it? You comment. Uh, as I told you, the dog had been locked up last night. The butler replies. It's just that the dog had, you know, even been out. Mr. Milverton might be alive today. You conclude. But the dog was locked up, just as Mr. Milverton had ordered. The butler replies. So he hardly had any chance to influence matters. Do you have any other questions for me? We seem to be wasting time. Time that you'd rather better spend trying to find Mr. Milverton's killer. If you ask Silversmith who could have locked up the dog, turn to 321, otherwise 268. Mm, so I think we got a, a good path in the conversation earlier for the additional information about the dog. And this is, I guess, a loop back. I don't think we need to ask about who locked up the dog. We already know that it was locked up by uh, him on his master's demands. Well, wait, no, we don't know who did it. He, we don't? Oh, I no. thought Silversmith had. Okay, yeah, no. we can press that then. He said he had someone else do it. Oh, shoot, wait, I, I scrolled. What page was it? 321. I mean, at this point, if he's mad at us anyways. Do you have any idea who could have locked up that dog that night? The butler frowns. Pick a number and add your communication. Okay, now he's really going to be mad at us. That's <laughs> a three. Uh, oh, boy, he just cold clocks us. 544, we failed at. Never mind. I don't know who locked up the dog last night. The butler snaps. Uh, when I went to tell the other men to do it, I found Brutus was already in the basement. I don't see any point in continuing this conversation, sir. Turn to 268. Wait, that that is information, though. It is. It's just not in the format of a clue. Yeah. When I went to tell one of the men to do it, I found Brutus was already in the basement. Brutus, I assume here, being the dog. The dog. Gotta be. So it's both information about the dog and a weird little tidbit about him already being locked up before he even asked. Yeah. Interesting. 268. You decide that you've learned everything you could ever want. I know, you could decide you could get everything you could from Silversmith. After thanking him for his time, you ask him to send in Mr. Jenkins, Milverton's secretary. Mr. Jenkins is a short, thin man with a dried-out look who befits a man who spends most of his days sitting in an office. You ask him what he saw when Mr. Milverton was killed. I was awakened by the butler banging on the door and shouting when he heard shots from Mr. Milverton's study. Jenkins says, clearly distressed. I dressed quickly with him and the others, and when we couldn't get in the study from the passage, we ran outside. Two men were fleeing through the garden. We weren't going to be able to catch them. Mr. Silversmith and I returned to the lobby and outside door. Mr. Milverton was dead. I felt at best that we touched nothing until the police came. If you check clue J626, 626 like stitch, otherwise 101. We did indeed. So What's uh, that? Jenkins let them burn is clue J626. Mm-hmm. You consider the secretary's careful statement and wonder if he told Silversmith to let the papers burn. If you ask why he let the papers burn, turn to 391. I mean, or 608. Let's go for 391. Yeah, let's push it. Hey, uh, so why did you let the papers in the fireplace burn? You ask. They might have pointed to Mr. Milverton's killer. Jenkins trembles a bit. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Oh, the first one's a six, so that's already a win. But the second one's a one, Hell so it's yeah. still a win. It's an eight. Seven plus one, eight. Four, oh, four. Jenkins not found. And why did you let the papers burn, buddy? You repeat. I didn't think we should touch anything until the police came. Jenkins repeats. 
If we'd dashed over to the fire and pulled them out, we might have destroyed important traces of who killed Mr. Milverton. You stare at Mr. Jenkins for some seconds before he gives his answer, or after he gives his answer, and then you ask, Was that your only reason? Jenkins blushes slightly and then frowns. Uh, well, he says, clearing his throat. <clears throat> some of Mr. Milverton's business was of a, a very confidential nature, if you know what I mean, sir. Since he was dead, it couldn't be carried on, for only he had the talent for it, and it seemed wise to let the papers burn. The law might have misinterpreted the letters. Check deduction 12 and turn to 608. Huh. So, he just said it out loud. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, he admitted. Yeah. Huh. Jenkins is obviously a careful and discreet man. You wonder if he would tell you anything of his master's bidness, bidness now that he's dead. If you ask him about the business, 117, otherwise 566, I doubt he will. Yeah. I but... wonder if maybe we should use one of our first opportunities to bypass a question that might clam up a subject. Yeah. I, I do imagine it's like... I imagine it's some kind of check, though. Possible, possible. <sighs> I'm open to doing it. It's tough. I hate leaving stones unturned, but... Let's do it. 117. Okay. All right. If it blows up in her face, my bad. Stone. You face Jenkins. Uh, Mr. Jenkins. You say. You can inform us of one aspect of Mr. Melverton's life that no one else had really been able to make clear. Exactly what kind of business did he engage in? We know he called himself an agent, but that's not really a very descriptive title. I don't know how much more descriptive I can be, sir. Jenkins answers. He did the things that an agent does. Arrange business deals when it was unwise for the parties to meet because of effects on others. Uh, found things that people wanted to buy for a fee. Or found a proper buyer when someone had an unusual merchandise to sell. He was very good at it. Most of his customers were well satisfied. What kind of transactions did he arrange? You ask. Oh, all kinds, sir. Sale of jewels, paintings, sometimes of rare manuscripts. Autographs were another of his lines, sir. You'd be surprised how many people are anxious to have a paper signed by a noted person. What was your point in all this, Mr. Jenkins? You continue. I wrote letters for him, sir. To one party or to another, but they were very careful letters, sir. He seldom named the merchandise he wrote, you see. He just asked me to write something like, I now have the items that you are so desirous of obtaining, and I can't let you have them at our agreed price until the 22nd. That sort of missive. Huh. So Okay, so he's not even, he wasn't even mad about this. He just was like, ah, yes, the secrets. The secrets that are so mm -hmm. secret that I'd like them to burn. Here you go. <laughs> the secrets for Cusco. Uh, I I do think that this is uh, something that we can press him on because he's clearly turning a blind eye whilst also very aware that he's doing so. Yes. Uh, if you check deduction 12, 343, otherwise 566, have we? We did indeed, and that was that Jenkins chose to let those burn. Oh. 343. You but, uh, Mr. Jenkins. You ask in a surprised tone? Why allow some of the papers of such a business to be burned? I think, after all, some might be, you know, very valuable. After all, Mr. Milverton apparently kept them in his safe. Jenkins hesitates before answering. As I was saying, some of the transactions were accomplished very quietly. 
Mr. Milverton always promised that if a transaction failed, he would take the papers. He would take care that papers didn't fall into the wrong hands. If you try and get more information, 464, otherwise 566. I mean, there's clearly been some wrongdoing from this man i think we have to. yeah i think we should lean on him i think we have i to. think he i think he feels you know i think the people that were aware something was going wrong and were trying to you know turn a blind eye to it are probably the easier people to press for additional information uh because they are obscuring a crime just not the one that we're investigating yes. yeah they'll give us something or at the very least make it clear if it's a red herring mr jenkins you say sternly you're obviously trying to find a reasonable explanation for an action you can't defend, but you know it won't do you any good. Why did you let the papers burn? Pick a number, add communication. Only needing a seven and only getting a seven. That's a five, uh, five plus one plus one. A five and a one plus one. Seven. Hell yeah. 573. Jenkins hesitates a long time before answering you. In the course of his business, Mr. Milverton acquired many papers which might have embarrassed the people named in them. You know what I mean, don't you? He asks in a pleading voice. Just what do you mean? You demand brusquely, and Jenkins sighs. Many of the letters Mr. Milverton had in his safe named one person as a lover of another or discussed other information best kept quiet. I certainly wouldn't have thrown them into the fire myself, but as the intruders had done so, it seemed discreet to let them burn. I see, you reply, still studying Jenkins. If you ask him who killed Milverton, turn to 400, otherwise 442. I mean... Yeah, why not? I mean... He might know. What, what if he knows and he just hasn't told us this whole time? Yeah, part? he's like, ah, yes, uh, it was me. <laughs> it was Bob Sock... <laughs> I did it on behalf of Bob Socket. Here's the reason I did it as well. <laughs> here's my motive. Here's my method. Uh, here's here's my social weapon. security card. Oh, and here's Just my wrist for your handcuffs. <laughs> Cuff me, officer. <laughs> for Hundo. Mr. Jenkins. You say? You're familiar with Mr. Melverton's papers and with the business methods and his affairs. You've admitted, without prejudice to yourself, that he kept papers which might be used for blackmail. Who do you think wished him dead? Pick a number and add communication, only needing a five and getting a, wouldn't you know it, a seven. Six plus one, 405. Jenkins sighs before speaking. At times I suspected Mr. Melverton of blackmail, though I have no proof. Some of the letters he was unable to sell were connected to scandals, scandals which became public knowledge after the transaction failed. Lestrade trades looks with you quickly, but fortunately he does not interrupt Jenkins' elaborate self-justification. With no help from you, Jenkins continues. There were some people who felt that they might have grounds to kill the master. I did not see all of the papers, and I'm not certain he used every paper that I saw, but some people might have felt that he wronged them. There were two brothers, John and James Patterson, whose funds were cut off by a family due to a scandal. Uh, Lady Ava Blackwell's forthcoming marriage to the Earl of Devoncourt was threatened, and uh, an engagement, of course, between Colonel Dorking and Miss Miles broke up suddenly, only two days before the wedding. Uh, finally, he had several flirtatious letters between uh, Lady Blakenley and her husband, the late Lord Harold, had both been an ambassador for... Hang on. Finally, he had several flirtatious letters... From Lady Blakeney, 
Her husband, the late Lord Harold, had been both an ambassador and governor general before his recent death. Uh, there might have even been others, but those are the most recent matters to which the master might have influenced. Check clue K, turn to 442. The obvious note being two brothers. That's like, you know, were they? I think being mm. whether or not that feels too obvious, but maybe it's not. <laughs> that yeah, they're the two maybe, men. Well, but there's and, also and the a woman. Example, well, that's that's what I'm thinking, right? It's possible that we have some conspiracy between multiple of these parties. Because <laughs> they all had the reason to want him dead and the papers burned, and it's not like just specific papers were burned. Yeah. The safe we cleared out. Three, three separate parties all came to murder him coincidentally on the same night because he's just such a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a meet-cute, but for murderers. They're like, oh, all guilty of one-third of a murder, and they round down. So yeah, they're all innocent, they're fine. actually. Yeah. Uh, check off clue K, turn to 442. You thank Jenkins for this help. And the secretary scurries out of the room. Lestrade consults his list and tells you that Miss L Mrs. Linden, the housekeeper, is the next witness. If you talk to her, 246. Otherwise, one or two. We should talk to her. Yeah. Because I believe he mentioned four members of staff. And one was the, uh, one was the housemaid and one was the kitchen maid. Mm -hmm. So I believe Mrs. Linden is the maid that we might be seeking the true meaning of the midnight meeting for. Arr... Mrs. Linden comes in with the quiet, almost invisible movement of a well-trained servant and stands waiting for your questions. She's a medium-sized woman in the middle of in middle years, very neat and trim, a person of confident in their own incompetence. In their own competence, rather. Yep, confident uh, in their competence. What did you see and hear when Mr. Milverton was killed? You ask. I was awakened by the noise of the shots and especially by the noise of the men dashing around. Naturally, I did not follow them outside. I am hardly equipped for fighting armed killers. When Mr. Silversmith told me that the master was dead, I called the police and I went here. I didn't see anything of the killers, and I was too scared to go in and see Mr. Moore Bildwitten lying there dead. I'm sorry that I can't help you more. These awful villains should be hanged. They really should. Hmm. If you ask her more about Milverton, 127, otherwise 585. 127. It's a lot of that in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Linden. You continue. Can you tell us something about your late master? What kind of a man was he? Was there any reason someone might want to kill him? You wonder if you're, you've asked the question tactfully. Pick a number and add communication. Needing a seven, getting a nine. Six or seven. Mr. Milverton was a good master. Mrs. Linden says slowly. He paid us well and never complained unless he had something reason. Uh, he always let us know in advance if he wanted to do something special. Oh, this is a terrible thing. I cannot imagine why someone would kill him. She dabs at her <sighs> eyes with a handkerchief. Turns to 585. You consider your next question for Mrs. Linden. You ask about the household routine. Turn to 551 if you let her leave. 259. I don't know why we wouldn't yet. Unless time is slipping uh, away. Yeah, 551, let's go. Uh, Mrs. Linden. You say gently, wishing she would stop crying. Could you tell me the routine for caring for Mr. Milverton in his rooms? You know, when they were cleaned and by whom? 
It might help us learn how the intruders carried out the crime. Between sobs, she replies. <laughs> Mr. Melvatone was very particular about these rooms, sir. The housemaid. Different person, as it turns out. Mary Jones always studies, uh, always cleans the bathroom and the bed in the afternoon. Uh, she worked on the study before that, but uh, while Mr. Milverton was out eating his lunch, Mr. Jenkins never left the rooms during the day, so if she cleaned it while he was eating, she didn't deserve him empty to work. Then, after dinner, I went in to be certain that everything was neat and orderly the way he likes it. I turned on the covers and made sure the fire was laid. At half past nine, on the order of the footman or the butler, would light the fires and... If Mr. Milverton wished it, it would be a bold man who wanted to try and hide there until very late at night, after the household went to bed. She dabs, her eyes again. Lestrade looks as if he wishes he'd never seen the housekeeper. Turn to 259. Relieved to be rid of her, you thank Mrs. Linden for her help, and watch her leave the room. Turn to 102. Rude? Yeah. Very Lestrade, uncomfortable with emotion, these people. Yeah. Why don't you detect why you can't console her? Huh? Hey, let me get my hands all up in this dead corpse here. Emotion? What's that? Get out of here! Oh! Lestrade consults his list and tells you that Mrs. Cox, the cook, is next. Will you talk to her? He asks. If you want to see the cook, 205, otherwise... 405, in fear of emotion. The fear being, because like it's maybe they're trying to set us up with they hit us with a nothing, and then after that is one that's so we might be like, hey, let's not talk to the next one, and then then. Mm -hmm. I hear you. At first sight, you think Mrs. Cox is the sort of woman you like to have cooking for you. She's a red-faced, white-haired woman, very plump and cheerful, who obviously samples her own work. She seems almost excited to be talking to you and Lestrade. Especially when you ask her what she heard the night of the murder. I was lying up, lying in bed awake at the time, she says. I was trying to, uh, to decide whether my special ginger cake or pie would be the best thing for next evening's dessert when I heard them shots. There was five of them close together, bang, 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 bang. And then a pause of a few more seconds, then one more bang. They were small, sharp cracks, not a great booming noise like a shotgun. I got up then, and everyone was running around, and I didn't see no more, but Mr. Silversmith wouldn't let none of us go in to see Mr. Milverton as he lay there, poor soul. If you ask her what she thought of her master, 329. If you have nothing more to ask, 392. 329. It's a harmless question. Uh, what sort of man was Mr. Milverton? Yeah, ask her. Oh, he was the best master in the world, mister. He paid me better than any other cook in the neighborhood by fire. By far. He said that he wanted to have me here because he cooked so good he was a man who enjoyed his food. Do you know anything about his business? You ask. I'm not certain, sir, is it being none of my affair, but he was very good at it. Because when he started with not his brains in his head and ended with this big mansion, all his money he could ever want, I think he must have dealt with high society folk all the time because he knew a lot of sorts of gossip about them. Gossip? You repeat, a little surprised. Uh, yes, sir. She answers. Maybe it was a little wicked of us, but you can imagine how a self-made man like Mr. Melverton would become amused by the airs of the gentry. Uh, many's the time he'd come to the kitchen to, in the evening and find if I could find him a little snack and we'd trade all sorts of stories. He heard some that I didn't know, 
And I'd heard some from my friends in the service with Erdofrog. He'd tease me too sometimes if I'd heard something outrageous. He'd insist that I'd tell him who told me just between the two of us. Pick a number and add your intuition. Needing an eight. Getting a seven. Ha! Oh, it's okay. We don't realize that she's the source of some of the blackmail. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. 323? Irrelevant to us. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> 323, right? Or did I go to the success? I believe it's 392. I believe 323 was a success. Oh, shoot. Oh. You thank Mrs. Cox for her help, and she gets up to leave. She laughs and says... <laughs> now, if you need a bite while you're talking to all the others, you can just send Smeldersith, Silversmith rather around to me and I'll whip some out for you. You must keep up your strength when you're hunting for a murderer. Turn to 505. Once more, Lestrade consults his list. It's uh, the kitchen maid's... <laughs> kitchen maid is... Ha! <laughs> Wrong! Both! Damn it! Kitchen maid is next. He says. If you have any questions for her. If you want to talk to her, 232, otherwise 624. Yes, we want to talk to each of the maids, 232. Yeah, we really don't have a strong lead on who did the kill yet. Like, we I have mean, a lot- we know people that might be involved. Yes, yeah, we, we, <clears throat> it seems very clear that we have, like, a couple guesses on who could be assisting, but not pulling the trigger. Helen, the kitchen maid, comes in, curtsies awkwardly, and then sits down. She's a skinny, uncoordinated little thing, perhaps 15 or 16, with stringy hair and a plain face. First impression is that she's not very clever. Well, Helen? You ask gently. Uh, can you tell us what you saw or heard on the night that Mr. Milverton was killed? I would, sir. She says timidly. Don't really know anything I could tell. I was sleeping when everyone woke me up with their yelling and fussing. I was so scared I just hid under the covers until Mrs. Cox came to hold me it was safe. She needed me to help her in the kitchen then. If you ask who killed Milverton, 441, otherwise 215. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything, but who killed him? <laughs> Four, I mean, 441. I want to know how this goes. Sure. I don't expect much. Do you have any idea who might have killed Mr. Milverton? You ask. Okay. Okay. The question panics the girl, as you should have expected. What's that, sir? She asks. Who killed Mr. Milverton? How should I know? I don't have any idea. Please, sir. You don't think I know anything, do you? She turns towards Lestrade, begging. Tell him you know I wouldn't have anything to do with killing the master. Please, sir. Before he has me taken away, sir. You and Lestrade manage to ease her hysterics, but it's obvious that she won't get anything useful out of her. As Mrs. Linden leads the sobbing girl away, you get an earful from the housekeeper's harsh opinions. Turn to 624. I mean, it makes sense, but I also didn't expect it. Gosh, this book is actually punishing us. <laughs> yeah, now we've been punished three times in different degrees for not uh, avoiding uh, some sort of line of play that was offered to us. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for the brand new world of opportunity of, of deciding not to do things as well. Yeah. Uh, 624. The housemaid, Mary Jones, is next on my list. Lestrade comments. You see why I hate murders and houses filled with sevens, don't you? He adds with a laugh. <laughs> anyway, do you want to see this Jones girl? If you see Mary Jones, 314, otherwise 126. I do feel like nah, we might as well relevant. see them. 
and then if we get maybe we don't press further if it seems like it's a bad idea but oh no this is the person that we absolutely need yeah. to press because she has a meeting in the diary with this yeah. person and possibly could have locked the dog away this is this is the this is not a red herring this is a blue herring yeah Mary Jones, the housemaid, comes in. She's a pretty young woman in her 20s, and she smiles, smiles very sweetly at you in Lestrade. After your question, she talks about what she heard when Milverton was killed. I was crying, so I didn't really know what was going on until all the men began running around and yelling at each other to be quick or something about gunshots. I didn't know what happened until... Or, sorry, what happened or what to make of it until Mrs. Linden took Helen, Bessie, and me aside and told us that Mr. Milverton had been shot dead, sir. Oh, it's terrible. Pick a number and add observation. Needing a seven, getting an eight. 198. You consider the housemaid's comment that she was crying and therefore didn't hear the gunshots. If you ask why... Oh. If you ask why she was crying, turn to 612. I was going to say, why was she crying after? But no, what she was crying bef during the gunshots. Mm. That yeah, does we seem absolutely pertinent. need to press in all available opportunities here. Six twelve. You studied Mary Jones carefully. You uh, said that you were crying, so you didn't hear those gunshots. You began. Why were you crying? Did Mister Milverton or the housekeeper cause you discomfort? She doesn't reply for a while, and you wonder if you should have asked. I don't know what that has to do with the murder, sir. She begins reluctantly. We don't know what anything has to do with the murder. You answer gently. Now, wouldn't you like to be certain it wasn't connected to the killing? She smiles. It was this way, sir. She says. I just got engaged this week to a man I met, and he was supposed to come and visit me that night, but he never did come. I haven't heard a word from him since. How long have you known him? You ask. Oh, only a fortnight. He was charming and a plumber with a very good growing business, sir. He did work for the gas company. Consider the best way to learn more. If you ask her if she locked up the dog for her boyfriend, turn to 4.43, otherwise turn to 2.07. 4.43, absolutely. She's primary suspect for locking up that dog. Yeah. You look squarely at the housemaid. Did you lock up the dog so your boyfriend could come see you? You ask. Come, girl. There's no need to protect him. After all, he's abandoned you, hasn't he? I did lock up Brutus. She admits... My boyfriend suggested it so he could come see me. It was so kind, I couldn't resist. She starts to cry a little. You don't think you, you don't think that helped kill Mr. Milferton, did you? It's not my fault, is it? Ah, nah. You assure her? It's not your fault. Don't worry about it anymore. If you ask her to describe her fiancé, turn to 328, otherwise 394. It's 328. What do you know about it? A name would help, even if it's yeah. an alias. Yeah. What kind of a man was your fiancé? You ask her. Is he a working man or a man of the gentry? Gentry? She answers, astonished. You've got to be teasing me. I'm not silly enough to think that any of the gentry would want anything to do with me. He was a plumber with a growing business. The gas company sent him to check the pipes here. He was older than me, tall, thin, with a big, lovable moustache. Oh, and he smoked a pipe all the time. It seemed like a very fine man, you know? Hey, very fine. You agree? Hey, what was his name? His name was Escort, Charlie Escort. He came here from Norfolk. He lived in a village just outside the city. Just outside the city. And she writes down an address. Check off clue M, turn to 394. 
Shy, there's nothing more to learn from the housemaid. You thank her and show her out and turn to 126. Before checking the next name on the list, Lestrade asks Silversmith to send in some tea and cakes, which you both find to be a good bit restorative. Lestrade tells you that the upstairs maid, Bessie, is the next member of the staff on the list. If you want to see her, 196, otherwise 344. So we still don't know about the meeting that was on the books. Yeah. So it's possible this is the maid referred to in that? Maybe. Maybe. We also don't know about the uh, the origin of the women's uh, footprints outside. Yeah, there's like a lot we don't know. <laughs> like, like a lot. Let's let's press on this conversation as well. I mean, it is the last of the stuff here. Yeah. Uh, oh shoot, what page? One. What page? Oh no. Oh, sorry, one ninety-six. The upstairs maid. Oh. Maid enters. She's a tiny woman, nearing 30, very plain and thin. Obviously, obviously not too bright. Just be calm, Bessie. You tell her. And tell us what you saw and heard when Mr. Milverton was killed, but only what you saw and heard yourself. Yes, sir. She answers. Well, I was in my bed asleep when it started, but the shots woke me up, so I heard about the last two or three. Uh, immediately, all the men started jumping and running and getting around, so I grabbed my robe and dashed out to see what it was all about. I followed the men down to Mr. Milton's study, but they couldn't let me in, so we all ran around outside. I followed a little behind them, and we saw Tommy Green grab one of them. He was going over the wall, but the bloke kicked Tommy and got clean away. Uh, they were all too scared to chase the men on account of the earth. Yeah, you know, because of gun. Uh, then I comes around the house and goes back to bed. Couldn't sleep none, though. Not with the master lying dead, dead in this study. Do you ask her opinion of Milverton, 438, otherwise 610? 438. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what did you think of Mr. Wilberton? You ask, and the girl looks puzzled. What is there to think of him, sir? She answers. He didn't bother me none. He weren't never late paying us, so I guess he was good master as he could hope for. Uh, he was all right, as long as he did work. And with Mr. Silversmith and Mrs. Linden, we couldn't ever not do all our work. Turn to 610. Thank Bessie for her help. She obviously knows nothing that would help you. So turn to 344. <laughs> <laughs> Roasted? Toasted and burnt to a crisp. Lestrade tells you that Shepard the footman is next. You see Shepard. I mean, yeah? I mean, yeah, do we want to just grab his account and then bounce? I don't don't know anything about this Shepard. Yeah, I just don't know what's up with this at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know this man. The footman looks as if he might be a butler someday. He shares Silversmith's staid, calm features and neat clothes. When you ask him to tell what happened during the murder, he has his story ready. I was in bed. He begins. Almost asleep when the shots went off. I wondered for a moment whether it was my imagination, but then I heard everyone else up yelling and shouting, so I pulled on my trousers and shoes and went out to see what was happening. The butler was rousing all of us, and when he had everyone awake, he led us to the master's study. We found out that the door was locked, and a little passage didn't give us the room to force it open. And then we ran around to the front door and out. We came in from the outside and saw two men come out of the study, run up the veranda, and vanish into the garden. Mr. Silversmith spread us out, and I commenced searching. Uh, I was on the left side of the line when Tommy Green shouted that he saw one of them, but when I came up to him, Tommy was lying on the foot of the wall, nursing his jaw. None of us fancied following a couple of armed men across an open heath, especially since it was mortal cold. That's all we saw. You ask his opinion of Milverton, 173 or 213. 
Uh, we go to 170. Hey, what was your opinion of Milverton? Oh, I hated him. I killed him about it. Yeah. I don't know. It feels it, it it's hard to not shake that feeling of because this I don't I don't think we're at risk of upsetting him. Yeah, all the ones that have gone wrong have they there has right. been a pretty clear inclination yeah. that it might go wrong. Yeah. And this one it's like I if it goes wrong, it will feel like it's out of nowhere. So 173, mm. I guess. What was your opinion of Mr. Melverton? You ask. Shepard hesitates and then answers. He was a good enough master, sir. He never shouted at you if you did your work right, though. If you did make a mock of things, he had a hard edge to his tongue. But with Mr. Silversmith running the house, none of us had much of a chance to make a mess, sir. So the master would no problem. He paid good to just wish we'd caught the blighters that killed him. Pick a number at intuition. I want to win this one. How badly? So badly that I should oh, lie? No. no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a four plus one. <laughs> that's not going to do it. Uh, that's a problem. You thank the footman for his help. He bows and leaves. Turn to 158. Oh, boy. That could have been useful. Oh, well. We can't get all of them. Well, who's next, Inspector? You ask Lestrade. Lestrade replies. Reynolds, the coachman. Do you wish to interview him? If you wish to see Reynolds, turn to 282, otherwise 221. Yes. Tell us your account and why you killed him. Reynolds is a tall, powerful man. His clothes hang on him without the grace that you've noticed of the house servants. Thank you for your time, Mr. Reynolds. You begin. I'm glad to do anything to catch the man who killed Mr. Milberton. Reynolds replies. He was a good master. Can you tell us what you saw and heard at the time of the killing? You ask. I can, sir, but I doubt it will do much good. The shots woke me up. It took me a moment to realize what woke me, and then I jumped into my clothes and ran out of the room. Silversmith led us to the study, but we couldn't get in by there. By the time we got around to the front door and back around, the blokes who'd done it were running away. We tried our best, and Green actually got a hand on one of them, but we couldn't catch them before they were over the wall and away. None of the others had any stomach for chasing armed men across the heath, and I can't say I fancied it myself. That's all I know. Ask his opinion to Milverton, 429, otherwise 226. I feel like, yeah, no inkling of problems. So, uh, what sort of master was uh, yeah, Mr. Milverton? You ask. He was a damned good master. The coachman answers sharply. He paid me half again as much as what most coachmen get. He never shouted at man unless he deserved to be yelled at. And he was a kindly man. Uh, if he was going to be some little time, he'd tell you in advance and let you find somewhere warm to wait for him. I want to see the man that killed him swing for it, I tell you. Pick a number and add intuition, needing an 8, getting a 12, 376. You realize that Reynolds must have driven Milverton often when he went to see the victims of his schemes. You wonder if he would tell you where Milverton has been recently. If you ask him, 231, otherwise 312. Uh, yeah, right. 231, this guy can be plied with his want to see the master's killers yeah. punished. You drove Mr. Milverton when he went anywhere, didn't you? You ask and the coachman nods. What sort of people did he visit? Well, most of the folks he went to see were toughs. Reynolds answers. Noble and gentry and the other rich folks. Of course, that's the sort of people that a wealthy man like Mr. Milverton goes to see, you understand. Pick a number and add intuition, needing a seven, getting a seven. 
a drink. All right, three ninety nine. Whom did Mr. Milverton visit recently? You ask. The coachman pauses to think and then shakes his head. I can't really say I remember, sir. You go so many places with a man over the years, you can't really remember just who you went to and when. Think hard, man. You urge. Surely you can remember some of them. Reynolds' face screws up in thought, but he shakes his head. No, sir. I cannot recall. I am sorry. Turn to 312. Oh, come on. And that was for the success. That was a win? It's possible he would have given us a red herring if we failed. I guess that's true. That's actually a good note. You can't think of anything else to ask the coachman. You thank him for his help, and then he leaves. 222-1. Lestrade stands and stretches for a moment before consulting his big ol' list once again. Only a couple of the staff left. Thank goodness. He says. The groom, yes, is next on the list. Do you want to talk to him? Do you want to talk to the groom, 431? Otherwise, 474. I mean. Absolutely. I have no reason to not want his information yet. The groom's come. The groom comes into the room. His, he's dressed in rough clothes, heavy gray pants, a red shirt, woolen vest, all worn and faded. Hey, what'd you see in here during the time of the murder? You ask him. I am hardly the one to ask, mate. All right, bye. <laughs> he answers. <laughs> Oi, come back here. I'm not done. I just barely got seen at the end of it. You see, sir, I sleeps out near the stables to be near the horses. If in any trouble, keeps them up at night. Well, I was sleeping and I hears all this noise outside. So I runs to the windows, I do, and I sees those other men running and yelling and, and Reynolds yell for me to come down and help them. But by the time I got me trousers and boots on, it was all over. That bloke's had gone off to warn and run away. Ask his opinion to Milverton, 580, otherwise 234. I... I mean, maybe he Hey, can... what did you think of Mr. Melvinton? Oh, I wasn't there yet. Uh, maybe he remembers what, where Reynolds takes him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You ask Yates. Hey, what kind of man was he? Oh, he was as good as you for, I guess. The groom answers. He paid better than most and never gave a man trouble. And didn't hardly know... <laughs> but I didn't hardly know him to know what sort of man he was. Not hardly my situation, you know. I'll just do me job and let the gentry live their lives with no interference from me. Turn to 234. You wonder what sort of information the groom might be able to give you, if any. If you know who locked up the dog, turn to 619. If you check decision 11, 285, otherwise 619. So we know who locked up the dog already. Uh, that was uh, Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Mary Jones, the the maid, the housemaid. Um we know Decision 11 as well, but Decision 11 is less specific. It's a, a section of people who might have locked up the dog, including the groom. So gotcha. we can just bypass that. So 619, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. The whole rest of this conversation yeah. would have just been discovery. You thank Yates for the help. Tugs his cat and leaves. Happy to be done with this talk. 474. Uh, well, likewise, punk. Lestrade actually smiles, and he doesn't even have to look over his list this time. We finally got to the end of them, he says, still smiling. The only one left on the page, uh, Johnny. You want to talk to him? Oh, if you talk to the page, 520, otherwise 235. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's the last one. Absolutely. And we still don't really know who did it. <laughs> Johnny the page is still a boy, perhaps 15 or 16, with bright eyes and a sharp, intelligent face. He reminds you of a Baker Street irregular employed by Sherlock Holmes. 
You ask him what he saw when Milverton was murdered. Looks a little puzzled, then shakes his head. I can't say I saw much of anything, he says. I'd sleep up in the attic rather than with the rest, so I couldn't get down in time to join in the chase. If you ask his opinion of Mr. Milverton, 162, otherwise 560. I'm on 162 now. What sort of man was Mr. Milverton? You ask the page. His face brightened. Oh, he was a good master. He answers. Always laughing and enjoying himself. And he told Reynolds and Mr. Silversmith to let me ride his footman sometimes. So I would learn all kinds of different... Sorry. Learn all different kinds of service to fit me better to whatever job that I get when I'm grown. I saw some interesting places riding with him too. Homes of tops and all that. Oh, and one place more exciting. He seems eager for you to ask him more. Lestrade looks a little bored. If you ask him what the exciting place was, 242. If you ask him who might have killed Milverton, 424. Or otherwise, 560. I, huh. 242. 242. We absolutely... I mean, like, we had two previous opportunities to press people for uh, additional information where uh, Milverton's been going, and both of them had clammed up. Yeah. You say you went as Mr. Milverton's footman to some very exciting sp exciting place, rather. You're trying to be explicitly clear. Where was that? The page looks embarrassed. Oh, I talk too much, sir. He answers. Mr. Reynolds and Mr. Silversmith are always trying to teach me that what the master does or where he goes ain't nobody's business at all. You look hard at him as he hesitates, trying to will him to talk. And finally the page starts again. Guess I can tell you, gentlemen. Yeah, indeed. You agree. Well, it was maybe two weeks ago, or a little less. I was footman when he went out in the late afternoon, and he went to see several people. The last place we went was 221 Baker Street, so I figure he must have been visiting Mr. Sherlock, the great detective. Are you certain? Lestrade asks, and the boy nods. The detective looks disgusted and then shrugs. Check clue O. If you ask who killed Milverton, 424, otherwise 560. I mean, yeah, 424. Give us your best uh, guess, buddy. Yeah. What, 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 what do you think? Uh, uh, an assassin? Do you have any idea who killed Mr. Milverton? You ask. Well, he answers eagerly. I'm just guessing because I didn't see much, but I think it might have been some spies or foreign agents. He goes on quickly, not far off. <laughs> he goes on quickly when you stare at him in disbelief. You see, Mr. Milverton called himself an agent, but everyone was always very careful not to talk about what he did. I think he did something very secret for England, and that foreign agents killed him to stop him. He hesitates, looking confused and thoughtful, then mutters, Unless... Mr. Silversmith said it must have been a dream. Pick a number and add your observation. Needing a six, getting a seven, five, eleven. The change in Johnny's voice catches your attention. What was this dream that Silversmith had apparently told them not to discuss? If you ask him about it, turn to 595, otherwise 560. This is a classic 595 here. What did Mr. Silversmith say was just a dream? You ask very gently, for the boy is obviously a little scared and confused. Well... I'm hurt so much from the others that I'm not really sure what I saw. And what was my dream before I woke up? I can't remember hearing the shots, but the noise might have gotten me out of bed without quite realizing it. You know how it is when something wakes you from a sound sleep? 
I seem to remember looking out the window, then, and seeing a cloaked lady hurrying away from the house towards the gates. After that, I'm sure I fell back into bed. It's right by the window. And then I woke up again when the rest of the staff was chasing through the house. If you ask about the two men, 189, otherwise 560. I mean, I, I can't. I, Wait, What's up? one second here. I can't remember hearing the shots, but the noise might have gotten me out of bed without realizing it. You know how it is when something wakes you from a sound sleep. I seem to remember looking out the window and seeing a closed lady hurrying away from the house towards the gates. After that, I'm sure I fell back to bed and then woke up again when the rest of the staff was chasing around the house. So either there were two different instances of gunshots or he didn't wake up about the gunshots. Uh, and instead, it's uh, it's trying to make us think that she was fleeing at the same time as the murder, but it was clearly much earlier than that. Yeah. That's all I can read from it. Or, yeah, wait. Or it's saying that the murder happened... Wait, when this is, unless this is what you were saying. The murder happened as the woman ran away, and then much later, the two men started running around. Mm, okay, how could that occur? How could that occur? So the gunshots would have been missed, would have had to have been missed earlier in the day, and then there needed to be another set of gunshots going off later. Perhaps the, the perhaps it was them bashing away at the safe, rather than actually firing yeah. a gun they were stepping over his corpse oh but didn't had had anyone seen mr milverton much earlier in that day that we're aware of i don't know huh i think it's more likely that this is dissociating uh the time of the woman fleeing from the murder rather than associating them together but it could be either or depending on interpretations let's ask about these two men 189 and did you see the two Two men. <clears throat> Sorry. And did you see those two men, or do you think you can guess who they were? You ask. As you ask, you wonder if you should have waited till the boy's puzzle looked cleared, and if he was more settled into went what he knew. Add your communication. We need a seven. We get a ten. Four eighteen. The boy gives a nod as though he's settling his thoughts firmly into place. I'm sure now, sir. I think the shots woke me up without my knowing what woke me. And I did see the woman. She must have been the killer. And when I woke again to all the yelling and running outside, I looked out over the other window of my room and saw the men as they went over the wall. I wasn't sure because it was so mixed in with my dreams before, but from what Mr. Green said about their looks, I think the men might have been Sherlock Holmes and his friend Dr. Watson. You asked us... Oh. Sorry, what? You ask in astonishment? We don't have time with these silly jokes, young man. What do you even know, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? I know Mr. Holmes is the greatest detective the world has ever seen. He answers quickly. Mr. Milverton pointed them out to me one time, even before he visited Mr. Holmes at Baker Street. Why would Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson visit Mr. Milverton at midnight? Lestrade asks explosively. You manage to quiet him before he scares the boy into silence. I figured that out too, sir, he answers brightly. Mr. Merrillton was probably working with them in some very mysterious matter, and they came to see him at a time that no one else would disturb them. Then the woman came and murdered Mr. Melverton so quick that they didn't even have time to stop her. Why would they flee the scene like criminals? Lestrade demands, aghast at the boy's wild theory. The matter they were pursuing was very delicate and they knew that their involvement would lead to revelations dangerous to the whole country. 
the boy answers eagerly. With another exchange of looks with Lestrade, you thank the boy for his help and watch him leave. Check clue N. If you ask Lestrade about the boy's story, 223, otherwise 260. Huh. Okay. So, he was confused and, and mixed up, but let's consider the possibility that this is a fully true account. Yark. Sherlock is the taller of the two. Yes. So he would have known, like, he would have been the person who were able to uh, navigate the grounds astutely and being yes. followed by the shorter of the two, Dr. Watson. Yes. Uh, there was a meeting beforehand with the two of them, so they clearly know more about this than they are revealing that they know about this. And... Also, Holmes specifically asked us to come to him before going to the police about this kind of thing. Yes, stating something along the lines of whether or not, more or less, it seemed to implying like maybe this murders was fine, <laughs> almost. Yes, well, in sometimes the, the yeah. maybe is justified in this fashion. That's actually specifically what uh, yeah. <laughs> what Sherlock seems to believe that we got in the very first decision we unlocked. Yeah, which, I mean, it could line up. It 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 definitely could line up. It really could, but that would also mean that the murder happened beforehand, which, which starts to dissociate the gunshots that everyone else is saying they heard around the time of his murder and the escape of, presumably, if we believe this account, Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. How do we rationalize that? So, wait, why do you think that the shots can't have come from the woman? Oh, uh, because the uh, this guy himself, uh, yeah. Johnny, had enough time to go back to sleep and then wake back up when the murder and uh, had happened and everyone started rushing around because everyone started rushing what? around after the gunshots that supposedly slew Mr. Milverton later that night. But everyone also woke up after a couple gunshots. Yeah. And then they ran down. I'm I'm just assuming there's a larger period of time between the two because Johnny had enough time to go back to sleep and then wake back up before the second round of yeah. the fracas. Yeah. So is that two different instances of gunshots? I mean, a couple of people did report hearing different amounts of gunshots. Yeah, but there's then, like, are we guessing that Sherlock and Holmes shot him as well? Yeah, well, there was... There was five shots and then a sixth hmm. as well. I don't know. Should we just ask Lestrade who surely won't believe this boy, 223. But will we get any more information by doing that? I don't know. Let's give it a go. Once the page has left, closing the door behind him, you look over at Lestrade, smile, and ask, So, what do you think of our lad's theory that our two intruders were Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? Lestrade shakes his head, seemingly at a loss for words, and then finally he says, you have been a police officer in London for almost twenty years, sir. I don't think I've heard a never don't think I've never heard a more ridiculous theory. It was rather odd. You admit. But is it totally absurd? Couldn't Mr. Holmes have had some business with this man Milverton? No! Lestrade answers sharply. He refused to take the case because he felt the killing might be justified, since Milverton's blackmail could not be counted by legal means. 
feeling as he did, he never would have associated himself with Melverton. Might Holmes' stated position a bit of cover for the connection? You suggest? The lad said the descriptions matched Holmes and Watts's. And as Holmes said to me... Whoa, 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 hang on. <laughs> Who's reading this person? It doesn't say. Yes. <laughs> and as Holmes said to me when I described the case to him. That's rather vague. It might be a description of Watson. Uh. <laughs> no, sir. The boy's mind is filled with Norton's. Don't let it influence your investigation. We've checked deduction six, turned it to 60, have we? We did, but that was literally what he just said. Oh, 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 I see. Uh, the, the, <laughs> he would be expounding upon that if we went otherwise, whereas this is noting we already had a conversation with him in the very start scene about the justified killing. Gotcha. Relieved that the interviews are completed, you inform Silversmith. Yes, sir. He answers. I thought that would be the case. I have sent Green to fetch a cab for your gentleman. He shall be back with it shortly, sirs. You've checked decision 8, 249, otherwise 255, have we? We have, and that is the decision that this was homicide. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Soon the cab comes up to the house, and after thanking Silversmith for his consideration, you and Lestrade board it and ride back to the city. Lestrade drops you off, and you wonder whether you can learn anything about the evening. If you've checked decision 13, 576, otherwise 512, have we? We have indeed, but I am curious about this, because uh, decision 13 was that we would come and talk to Holmes before reporting anything. So is this an invitation to go and check in with Holmes, whether or not he and Watson were on the field that night? I guess. Uh, you sup at your lodgings. You try and decide what you might do this evening to further your investigation. The only useful task that occurs to you might be visiting Mr. Holmes. If you've checked off clues N or O, but not E, turn to 194. Sorry, could I ask you what page we're on? 576. So, we have checked... Oh, I have great news. We have checked both N and O, but not E. Alright, turn to 194. My fear is that it's a red herring and that E would be like, oh, no, don't, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. But who knows? You decide that Holmes and Watson might be amused by the page's wild story and therefore go to Baker Street. Mrs. Hudson takes you up to the room shared by Holmes and Watson. Dr. Watson greets you warmly, though Holmes seems rather preoccupied with a book. After a little talk of the news of the day, Watson asks, oh, So how's your investigation going? Uh, well enough. You answer. I spent the days at Appledore Towers interviewing the staff and then trying to put all they told me into a logical pattern. It's a weary task, because Mr. Melvin had like a dozen people working for him. So, have you not yet solved the murder? Holmes asks in a half-teasing tone. But then, you had Lestrade's help. That would handicap anyone. Now, I'm sure you came here because there is some point that you thought I might clarify. Tell me about it. If you have a clue... Oh, 599. So, yes. We do indeed. That is the visit of Sherlock. Uh, from Mr. Milverton. That was 599, you said, sorry? Yar. Yar. Well, Mr. Holmes. You begin. It's just that I learned that Mr. Milverton came to visit you recently. I hoped you might be able to tell me why and what happened. Holmes shakes his head. No, I don't think I can tell you that. His visit was too closely related to the private affairs of one of my clients. I will assure you it had nothing to do with Milverton's murder. 
You nod, knowing better than to press Holmes on a, such a question. If you've checked N, 579, otherwise 262, so 579. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, the description of the two men. I actually heard your names mentioned, almost with reverence by one of the staff. You go on. There was a page there, a boy named Johnny, assured me that Mr. Sherlock Holmes was the greatest detective the world had ever seen. Watson tries unsuccessfully to suppress his laughter. Holmes smiles thinly at the compliment. But the boy told me the silliest story you ever heard. Oh? Holmes asks. That would have to be very silly indeed, as Dr. Watson can attest. I have heard some very odd talk in my time. It's just the page said that he saw two men when he climbed over the wall. That, that when they climbed over the wall. And when he heard the description the undergardener gave of him, he concluded that you and Watson were the two men who fled the scene. Because he admires you, he at least didn't believe you'd murdered Milverton. <laughs> that is some comfort. Holmes says while Watson roars with laughter. <laughs> Though we hardly matched his faith if we were there and were unable to stop the murder, did we? If you ask if they were the men, 338, otherwise 282, thing. Yeah, he's not denying anything. He's playing in the realm of the hypothetical, though we hardly matched his faith if we were there and unable to stop the murder. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's try 338. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> He's right, Holmes. Watson says through his laughter. Oh, that is one of the silliest stories ever told in these walls. But, uh, is it true? You ask suddenly, cutting through Watson's laughter. Were you the men in Milverton's study? Pick a number and add your communication. Oh my god. Yeah, there's a critical on this one. If we roll a 12, we get a whole different result than the 2 to 6 uh, or 7 to 11. All right, let's see. All right, well, we're already not critting, but we are getting the mid-result, the 7 to 11. So 5 That'll at 45. Do. Watson laughs even louder and Holmes smiles. <laughs> do you think that the case would have reached its present state if we'd been the men? Holmes asks. Though Milverton was one of the worst men in London, I hardly looked on his murder as a desirable late-evening exercise for Watson and myself. Why, if I were engaged in such an activity, do you think I would take Watson along? He's the perfect companion for a dangerous mission, but not for burglary. Watson blushes as you laugh in agreement. Turn to 262. I so dearly want to know what the crit on that would have been. Like, um, yeah. you got us. <laughs> well, I... Yeah... Honestly, it would probably be something like the, the no. people who match our description uh, it might be these people. Like, you know, another clue. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. After a little more small talk, you thank Holmes and Watson for their hospitality, return to your own quarters, and eventually fall asleep. In the morning, you rise early and ready to pursue the case more fully. Turn to 410. Now that you've completed your investigation in Appledore Towers, you try and develop some new lines of investigation for the day. If you've checked off clue C, but have not identified the two male intruders, 466. We have not checked off clue C. So, 290 for us. Alright. You run through the invest or, oop, information you acquired at Appledore and try and decide which pieces will point towards the name of the suspects. If you've checked clue D, 257, otherwise 456, have we? Yes, right? Uh, we have checked D. That's the maid meeting. All right. You remember the no notation in Milverton's notebook that the Countess d'Albert made was to visit Milverton at midnight. 
the night of the murder. Could the Countess know anything useful to your investigation if you visit 115, otherwise 456? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yes, we've been trying to pursue this line of questioning for a while, 115. Yep. As soon as you decide to interview the Countess, you wonder how you'll deal with someone that important, who does not have an immediate obvious connection to the investigation. She might not even be willing to talk to you. Pick a number and add your intuition. Okay. That is going to be a hot five, which is a fail. Whew. 617 is a fail. All right. You cannot think of any method to approach the Countess other than relying on your own tact and Lestrade's letter of introduction. Perhaps the Countess will see the advantage of leaving the police out of the matter. Turn to 572. Uh-oh. A cab drops you at the townhouse of the Countess. The butler takes your card and returns quickly to lead you in to see the Countess. She's a tall, wiry woman of late middle years with a hard-lined face. You have a feeling that Milverton would have regretted any attempt to blackmail her. Good day, sir. She says very pleasantly. It is very nice of you to come and see me, although I can't imagine the matter that would bring a consultant detective to my door. I hope this isn't some petty little matter that would waste my time. You reply. Hardly a petty matter. Oops, you reply. Huh. A man named Mr. Milverton was murdered. Because of his nature of his activities, I find it necessary to talk to anyone mentioned in his papers. I'm assisting the police in this case. If you've checked decision 20, 284, we have not, right? We have not, no. Right, I suspect yeah. that uh, the intuition to approach her and then yeah. uh, the decision 20 might have been to yeah. not mention the police. Yeah, I agree. One Blackmail. Blackmail, the Countess asks incredulously. How could anyone blackmail me? It seems that Mr. Milvert then took some interest in you. You answer carefully. What if he did? She snaps. I will have you know that I have not done anything that would make me a target for that kind of villainy, young man. Apart from my innocence, I would not care what kind of threats a blackmail made to me. There is no one whose opinion I value would be influenced by any such actions, nor any other way that Milverton could hurt me. Milverton had made an appointment for midnight which you made. You say carefully. We must try and examine why he was interested in you. You don't see it as he was murdered. Pick a number and add your communication. Needing an eight. Oh, blessed day, finally. And getting an eleven. We've had a stretch of stinkers. We have indeed. The Countess seems to think about the matter, then demands... If I know something, why should I even trust you? Are you a safe repository for such delicate information? If you tell her that the murder must be solved, 108. If you tell her that you review the case with Sherlock before telling the police, 141. That seems... That's going with the hunch that you had about the other way, so... Absolutely. I think we absolutely need to do that. Yar. I share your concern. You say carefully. But while I am working with the police on this case, I understand that the murder of a blackmailer must be investigated with the greatest possible discretion. Before I present the police with a solution, I'm going to discuss the matter with Mr. Sherlock Holmes. His reputation is such that anyone may trust him to treat the matter with all due discretion. I'll follow his advice to ensure that no innocent person is hurt by what I've learned. Pick a number and add your communication. Needing an eight... Getting oh, please, a please, nine. Please, please. Yeah! 112. The Countess listens to your argument and then agrees. I will trust you. She says. I should rather talk to you than the police. Hey, thank you. You answer. 
So how'd you become involved with Mr. Milberton? I'm not involved with him at all, she answers. But a friend of mine has some connection to him. Lady Blakeney came to me last week and told me that she needed someone to correspond with this man Milverton without anyone knowing her involvement. An odd request, wasn't it? You suggest? Not as odd as it might be, mm. she answers. My friends know that I mind my own business and would not chide them for their indiscretions. Lady Blakeney had not always been as careful in choosing help with delicate affairs. I agreed that if a note came to this house from Appledore Towers, I would enclose it in another envelope and send it over to her. The name on the envelope was a false one. And did you receive such a letter? You ask. She nods. I received one the morning of the day that Mr. Milverton was killed. I sent it to Lady Blakeney, just as we'd agreed. Check off clues. Z and turn to 121. Blakeney came up earlier, and I can't remember when because it was yesterday. Uh, it actually wasn't. Uh, oh, this no. one was. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Uh, this one was uh, implicated by one of our interviews as uh, one of the people that had been visited. At, uh, Jenkins, I think, actually. We leaned on Jenkins and he started uh, coming out with names of people who might have motive. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was Lady Blakeney, who was involved in a blackmailing scandal. Yeah. Okay. I was just trying to figure out why it was familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you thank the Countess for her time and you turn to 456. You continue to run through the evidence in your mind, trying to identify the most useful information. If you check Clum, Clum M, turn to 528. Otherwise, we one. did. That is the uh, address of one Charlie Escott. In mm. thinking through the evidence, you remember Escott, the plumber who asked Mary Jones to type the watchdog and then did not visit her. Could he have been used by the intruders to clear one obstacle from their path? If you decide to locate Escott, 177, otherwise 351. Yes. Yeah. He might be I think the two it's men. It's deeply important that we do that. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he might be both the men. You exactly. We don't know if he can't split. <laughs> Check your notes from the interview to find where Escott lives. Take a handsome out to the neighborhood and pursue your inquiries. Pick a number and add your scholarship bonus. Needing an eight. Getting an eight. 375. Finally. We're on a roll again. We're on a roll again. Oh, shoot. I just started scrolling without even thinking. What was it? 370? Uh, 375. You go to the post office there and ask the local directory in order to find Escott's address. Looking through it, you find no one of that name. Because it was a fake, perhaps? Okay. Oh, okay. So that same pseudonym was set up as the uh, the receiving account for these uh, these secret letters, as well as the uh, plumber that would get the the dog out of the way. Okay, cool. Okay, so that clears up. I think it's also yeah a one two punch of also kind of like clearing up a red herring. Okay. Mm hmm. Two o nine. Appreciated. You wander the neighborhood and notice a street peddler selling flowers. You well, you consider buying one for your for your buttonhole. You decide. Sorry, it's just just a fun word. It's a funny word. See, hmm. it's a buttonhole. Uh, you tell him that you're looking for an acquaintance, a plumber named Escott. Deduct two pence from your money. If you cannot pay, we can, right? We absolutely can. We have six pence. Okay, then pick a number and add your communication bonus. Uh, mm, 
to triple check. There's a two to four, five to eight, and a nine to twelve. We do get a uh, seven, so we're on the upper end of the middle, but we do not quite cross into the top tier. Five fifty-two. No, the peddler says. I don't know, snow bloke named Escott. I wouldn't tell you if I did. Now, excuse me, I think that gent over there would like some of my flowers. That's Escott. <laughs> my best friend. <laughs> I accomplished him to a mission recently. I was a shorter man than him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't mind the glass scars on my arms and legs and body and face. <laughs> or his. <laughs> The air is off. Yeah. Turn to 516. A little desperate, you try and figure out how to locate this mysterious plumber. Pick a number and add your scholarship. Needing an 8, getting a 10. 161. Woo. Once you apply your mind to the problem, you remember that Eskai was supposedly working for the Gasworks when he first came to Appledore Towers. Someone at the Gasworks might be able to tell you about Escott. If you go to see the foreman of the gasworks, 258, otherwise 142. I think we should see this through. I suppose so, even if it is. Well, I mean, someone still has to have been the person that Mary Jones, the housemaid, met, right? So <laughs> there still she... has to be a dude. Unless she was supreme catfished. <laughs> Just like, they didn't even exist. <laughs> she, was, she was so catfished, she was writing to herself. Oh, damn. That's a movie right there. I expect to see it come out in 2026. That's a Black Mirror episode is what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you listen as Holmes attempts to persuade you to drop the case. Then regretfully shake whoa, your head. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm pretty sure we're 258. Never mind. <laughs> it's happened too many times. It's been in defense. Let me explain why. Normally I would search. Normally we would search the page, the PDF, this is not possible in this one. Yes, we're doing a lot of screwing A lot of scrolling. If you're wondering why, oh, they're, they're confused about which page to turn to a lot more in this. It's because we can't search as easily in this. And you get halfway down, and you're like, oh, shoot. I went, went too far, and I'm lost. Suiting your actions to your thoughts, you ask for directions and hurry around the local gasworks. The gasworks is a huge brick building filled with pipes, and other apparati. One of the workers takes you to a tiny office in the corner where Mr. Malone, the foreman, watches over his men. You introduce yourself and tell him that you are investigating the death of Mr. Milverton at Appledore Towers. <gasps> Good man, Mr. Milverton, he answers. Though we'd lost much of his business since he put in them electric lights, he just got the gas hooked up for emergencies in case something happened to his electric power. But I wouldn't know nothing about his murder, seeing as how me and the wife were sleeping snug at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. You assure him? It's only a peripheral matter that concerns me today. You know how it is with a murder. One must account for every detail, or the judge will have one's hide when the case comes to a court. His nod is only moderately reassuring. He seems a little bored with your talk. It occurs to you that a little money might make him time pass a little bit more easily for him. If you offer him no money, 299, 5 shillings, 300, 10 shillings, 307, 1 pound, 308. I don't care about giving him the money. Sure, but how much money do we give him? Mm. I mean, 1 pound would be the most. 5 shilling. What's, how much is a shilling? 
It's in the front of the book. I've got to go check that because we have to do a transaction here. Uh, one penny is a pence. So a shilling is 12 pence. The guinea, two shilling, uh, 21 shillings. Pound is 20 shillings. Okay, so 10 shillings would be half a pound. Let's go for one from the top. Maybe? Sure, sure. Uh, where are we turning to? Is that 307? 307. And what are we giving him, sorry? 10. The half, uh, half a pound? Cool, cool. I, I, th I think. Yeah, I like it. Let's do it. Okay. And, and, yeah. 307. Hey, pardon me. You say suddenly. I shouldn't waste the dime of a busy man like yourself without some compensation. You slip him 10 shillings, deduct the payment from your character record. Now, Mr. Malone. You continue. Could you tell me a bit about the man named Escott uh, Plummer who did some work here at Appledore Towers? I gotta contact him. The foreman's face twists in thought. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. So there's a two option on here. There's a two, a three to four, and a five through twelve. Holy yes, crap. Think... We get a five. Oh, God, please. <laughs> the highest option with a five. I think we paid him an appropriate amount of money. 361. The foreman mutters the name Escott a time or two, and then looks very closely at you, thinks again, and then finally speaks. Well, sir. He says. I do know a name, a man named Escott, but I know a man who paid me to introduce him under that name. What do you mean? You demand, trying to keep the eagerness out of your voice. Well, it weren't his name, sir. Not really. He needed to learn a little bit more about Appledore Towers on the quiet, and seeing as who he was, I knew it was all right. Who was he? You ask. And this time, there's no hiding your eagerness. Why, it was great uh, Detective Mr. Sherlock Holmes. He answers. Thanking the foreman for his help, you return to your lodgings for supper as it's past sundown. Eagerly, you turn the information over in your mind, wondering just what it means. Check clue Q. If you've checked clue P, turn to 411. I don't think we have, have we? Unfortunately, we are not clue P. Then turn... We're not clue P? <laughs> Turn to 254. After supper, you go to Baker Street to see Holmes and Watson. When Mrs. Hudson takes you to their rooms, Watson is writing down... Uh, writing and Holmes is reading. Watson greets you cheerfully and Holmes looks at you ever carefully. Hey, this isn't a social call. He tells Watson. Our friend is... Our friend is full of a piece of information that he considers important. And on top of that, he's a little indignant. What have we done to arouse you, sir? He finishes, though you have the feeling he knows already. Oh, sorry, that was yeah. Holmes. Yeah. Yes, apologies. I spoke to a man named Malone today. You answer. And I learned much of the life of a man named Escott, the plumber who arranged to have Mr. Milverton's dog locked up the night of the killing. I'd have thought you might have told me. If it were my secret that took me there, I would have told you. The detective answers quietly. But there are times when we must observe the greatest discretion to avoid embarrassment to a client. Watson and I entered Mr. Milverton's house that night, but only to destroy the papers he was using to blackmail a young lady. While we hid in the study, a beautiful woman came in, another victim of Milverton's abuse. Although murder should rarely, if ever, be justified, she got the only possible revenge by shooting the villain dead. No, no, sir. He hurries on, waving away your questions. I will not tell you her name. Watson and I agree she had no other recourse against Mr. Milverton's crime. But murder! You reply. What else could she do? Holmes responds. I urge you, give up in this investigation. To prosecute would ruin her, 
and no one would be happy if you pursue it to a conclusion. Check Kloopy. If you agree to give up the case, 581, if you continue to investigate 445... Oh, boy. That's... I uh, mean... From a story... Do have another opportunity to turn back at the end? Can we investigate right down to the nub of the issue and then not turn them in? I'm gonna hope yes. Because otherwise that does feel like it would be it, we, dissatisfactory. Yeah, well, we, we should have the ability to come back to Holmes before going to the police. We should, theoretically. So I, I think so. as much as, like, I would want to probably stop, it sounds like it's it doesn't seem like a very good ending for this. Mm. So continue on 445, knowing that we could, like, mental save state... This is where we could, you know, could end it. Okay, okay, yeah, let's do this. Four, four, I appreciate your vo uh, viewpoint, Mr. Holmes. You say? And I do respect it. It doesn't seem proper to quit my investigation until I identify the killer and the motive, though. Holmes holds up his hand. <sighs> Very well. You, what he tells you? Search for your murderer, but I demand one pledge from you. If you do discover the killer, first tell me. Holmes's sincerity forces you to agree. You return to your lodgings and go to bed. In order to rise early in the morrow, check deduction 10, go to 278. <coughs> Blessings be. It's a beautiful cold morning. You eat your eggs and sausages and rolls quickly. You do not want to waste any time before the beginning day's work. If you checked off decision 14, 378, 15, 163, otherwise 351. Have we? Any of these? Neither. 351. You leave your quarters considering your next steps as you do if you've checked clouty turn to one three oh my god 385 otherwise 367 we are clouties without a clouty hmm. 360 367 sorry i believe that was we're dying here <laughs> obviously you must learn the names of some of milverton's blackmail victims perhaps one of them will point you to a killer you wonder how to go about it pick it up and add your scholarship you need an eight get a nine two eighty three as you think, you remember that a paper called The Hornet is notorious for coverage of scandals. It occurs to you that Inspector Lestrade might know something useful. Check off deduction 16. If you see Lestrade, turn to 185, newspaper offices 383. I think we should go to uh, the, the Hornet rather than Yar. Lestrade. Yeah, exactly. Try and keep things quiet still. Yar. You go to the offices of the Hornet and convince them to let you go through the recent back files. Slowly, you build a list of the possible victims, though you wish they were a little less circumspect in their comments. You note that two weddings that were cancelled suddenly, that of Miss Dorking to uh, Colonel Miles, that of Lady Sylvia Daniels to the Honorable John Morris, John and James Patterson were cut off financially by an uncle, <clears throat> while Lord and Lady Beaverton have lived apart for several weeks. A Captain Gray had an appointment appointment cancelled recently, and the account of a recent death of Lord Blakeney sounds odd to you. Hmm. Finally, the upcoming wedding of Lady Eva Blackwell and the Earl of Devoncourt sounds like the perfect target for the blackmailer, as there is evidence that the Earl is very jealous. After thanking the editor of the paper for your help, for his help, you tip the clerk who showed you how the papers were organized, deduct a shilling from your character record. <laughs> what if we didn't have any? <laughs> You return to your lodgings and eat supper. As you prepare for bed, you're still turning clues over in your mind, trying to decide whom to visit. Check Clutie and turn to 620. 
again the next day, you rise early in the morning, ready to continue your pursuit of the murder. Feel confident that today you will con may confront the murderer face to face. Of course, you'll have to identify. Wait, what? Is this right? Yeah. Yes. Explain. Of course, you'll have to identify him as well. But that problem does not concern you deeply. If you checked decision 14, but did not check clue R or U, turn to 176. Decision 15, but not S, turn to 507. Otherwise, 385. We have none of these. 385. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, I don't think that means we've missed anything. I think that just means, well, I, I think it means that if we had them, we would not have the opportunity to take to possibly find those clues. You adjust your clothes and prepare to visit the possible suspects in the killing of Charles Augustus Milverton. Carefully, you think of ways to convince these people, most of them wealthy and prestigious, that they should talk to you about some of the very delicate matters. You have a letter of introduction from Lestrade describing you as an unofficial representative of the police, employed because of the delicacy of the current case. That will get you into people's homes, but it will may not convince them to talk. Obviously, you can follow Lestrade's advice and suggest that it is better to talk with an unofficial investigator than police, but perhaps you can do that, do something that will induce cooperation from these victims. Pick a number and add intuition. We only need a six. And we only get a six. 628. That's happening too often. What can you do to make important people talk to you? If you've checked decision 20, turn to 388. Other oh, no. We have not. Otherwise, 416. So whatever we would have... That... Oh. Ooh. Oh, boy. Okay. You remember Lord Ellington's gratitude when you solved this problem so quickly and quietly. Perhaps the peer will give you a letter of introduction describing your competence and discretion. If you ask, oh, wait, this is, maybe this is just a way to get the letter. Maybe yeah, the letter is probably, if you ask Lord Ellington for a letter, turn to 380. This is probably just another chance to check 20. All right, 380. As soon as the idea occurs to you, you know it's a good one. You get a hansom to take you to Lord Ellington's townhouse, where the butler quickly leads you into his lordship. A letter of recommendation. The peer replies to your request. Why, I'd write you ten letters of, re letters of recommendation, my lad. Uh, letter number one, uh, G. <laughs> Just a moment. He fusses with pen and paper for a moment, then gives you the letter. To whom it may concern, the bearer of this note is a young man of sense and discretion whom I would trust fully with the most delicate information. You must rest assured that he will not expose facts unnecessary to the prosecution of this matter. Ellington. You thank Lord Ellington for his help and return to your work. Check decision 20, turn to 386. You're 100% right. That's exactly what we got. Yeah. Though you've... So many of the times now, like, I think in this book where we've been like, oh, we don't have that. It's because they're just making sure, because the like circuitous route that you can take on this, they're just making sure you mm -hmm. don't already have it. And you can, yeah, so you exactly. can go get it. Nice to know we're not missing those things. Yeah. Though you've settled upon your tactics, you still must decide which of the possible suspects you will visit. You do not wish to be any unnecessary trouble, a member of nobility, or other wealthy and influential people. Which suspects seem the most likely to be connected to the case? If you've checked clues K and L, K but not L, L but not K, or none. We have K but not L, and that is that active blackmail was going on. Okay. 170. Hmm. As you try and decide whom to visit an interview, you remember that Milverton's secretary, Jenkins, mentioned all several possible victims of his master's blackmail. 
all of them are on your list. If you want to only visit the people mentioned by Jenkins, 454. If you want to visit every possible victim, 363. I think 454, because he does mention yeah. Lady a the Blackwell. Yeah, that feels the most, like the best lead so far. 454. Jenkins, Milverton's secretary, mentioned people whom his master might have blackmailed. Obviously, these individuals form the most logical group to visit in the hunt for his murderer. Check decision 17 and turn to 230. You consult your list and see that the brothers John and James Patterson are listed. If you see them, 228, otherwise 374. I mean, I'll say it doesn't make sense at this point. We're... Yeah. At this point, we have to be looking for a woman. That, that was Holmes and Watson. Yeah, right? Like, I... So and they confirmed that, right? It wasn't just that Holmes was escort. It was that they were there that night waiting in his office. They said they burned the papers. Yeah. Like, so they, I, I don't, I guess I don't see the point. Four. Yeah, let's do it. Three, seven, four, screw it. Don't need that. Um, a prominent name on your list is Lordy, Lordy. <laughs> Lordy Lady Ava Brackwell. You realize the great deal of tact is necessary when investigation takes you to the home of an aristocrat preparing for her wedding. She lives in a fashionable neighborhood of St. John's Wood. You go to the neighborhood and study the house where she maintains a flat. Well, she's not indignant. What? Indigent. Indigent. I was thinking indignant. <laughs> mm. It's very close. Yeah. Uh, she also is not inordinately wealthy. Sorry. Indignantly wealthy. At the door, you're <laughs> met by a house servant. You ask If you ask to see Lady Eva, turn to 459. If you send in a note, 436. If you decide not to see her, 370. I wonder if she would too, be too spooked to see us if we immediately asked to see her. Uh, a note seems good. Yeah. The fear being, like, is it going to take our note from 20 and we not get it back? Or decision 20 note and not get it back for mm -hmm. some reason? Like, is it going to... Eh, I'm willing to chance it, because that would honestly be pretty cool. You give the maid who's entered the door at Lady Ava's a flat this note. Lady Ava, your name has been mentioned to me in connection with a blackmail and a murder, the murder of a man named Milverton. Both the police and I feel it's best to deal with you privately so that there's no undue mention of your name. A few minutes later, a tall, angular woman of uncertain years comes out of Lady Ava's rooms. She introduces herself as Lady Ava's cousin, Philippa, okay, and says that you may come in and talk to Lady Ava. But mind you, she adds, If you hurt that poor girl, I shall see that you regret the day you were born. You follow her into a drawing room, turn to 201. Miss Philippa Blackwell leads you into a small drawing room and presents you to Lady Ava. The room is nicely furnished, but shows no sign of fabulous wealth. The lady herself is short, blonde, under 20, fresh face, and pretty but very nervous. She's wearing a simple but pretty blue dress, and you wonder, does she have enough money to be a worthy target for blackmail? After an exchange of polite greetings, you ask Lady Ava if she's been blackmailed by Milverton. While her cousin glares at you, the young lady hesitates and then nods. He did try to blackmail me. She whispers. He had some old letters of mine and offered to sell them back to me for several thousand pounds. I didn't know what to do. It might be terrible to say so, for his death was so horrible, but it was a great relief to read that he'd been killed. I didn't know I was free of that threat. If you ask if she paid Milverton, 554, otherwise 279. Hmm. I almost don't want to ask, because I, yeah. it seems like she might not have had the ability. We're told multiple times here that she's not of fabulous wealth. Yeah. And the, I mean, we can deduce that she's relieved because 
she didn't have the money to pay it off. Mm-hmm. So maybe we... Yeah, 279. Let's let's exercise uh, restraint. Wow, we can do that? That blackguard certainly waited for the most deadly time to threaten you. You say, and she nods eagerly. It's too bad someone done about him years ago. She says... If you ask why she feels so free of anxiety, turn to 109, otherwise 184. I mean, this could be a less embarrassing way to mm. get her to admit the thing so we have a clue check, you know? Let's do it. Like, this feels like a, a way where she's, it's not like, a, oh, are you poor or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to wish you a cause for any concern. You continue. But I'm a little surprised that you feel so safe, even with Mr. Melvin's death. Some associate of his may still have the papers. Oh, that's not possible. She interrupts, then stops to think. I mean... She continues. He wouldn't have time now. And all the police must have taken all of Mr. Melvin's letters. She looks desperately towards her cousin, but that grim lady has nothing to add. Pick a number and add your intuition. Need a six, get a seven. 128. Hmm. Lady Ava's explanation of her relief does not ring true to you. The newspaper accounts of the murder does not mention the destruction of Milverton's letters. If you ask again why she feels safe, turn to 415. I mean, yeah? I mean, yeah. It, it, it feels right it, to press on this. It's either she's going to clear us and, and clear it and be like, this is why. I, I think we're, we're going to learn something. I mean, it's... It, if we've noticed this, it's on her at this point to clear this up. Mm. Although I do wonder if we get to the end of this and she's just going to say, well, Sherlock and Watson burned the notes for me. And we'll already know that. Yeah, they might. Yeah, they might have informed everyone. You know, they might. They may have informed all of the people who have been blackmailed that those are burnt up to relieve their stress. Mm. Under the pseudonym uh, for or no lady ava you say very gently i don't want to upset or disturb you but it's obvious you're not telling me everything you know you gotta have some more concrete reason to feel as you do pick a number and add your communication bonus need an eight get an four thirty five i mean where i mean she's just gonna say i mean i think we know what she's gonna say but we'll see for a moment, you're afraid Lady Ava will break down under your questioning. Almost visibly, she pulls herself together, stifles a sob, and says slowly, I have been assured that there is no chance of any of Mr. Milton's papers ever hurting anyone again. My representative is in a position to know, and he's assured me that everything damaging to me was destroyed. If you ask who represented her, 295. If you decide to leave, 333. I mean, should we get it? Should we get it in clue writing so that we have... Straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, 294. Uh, who was your representative? You ask firmly. Lady Ava hesitates, appears to think about it, then looks at her cousin, who nods firmly. Very well. Lady Ava finally says. I'll tell you, you promised not to tell my fiancé. You nod. Through the help of friends, I was able to engage the services of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. If Mr. Holmes tells me I'm safe of all of Mr. Melvin's villainous plans, I can trust him. Check clue X and turn to 333. Through the help of friends, I feel like that also does kind of like finally, in a pretty blunt way, say she couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's 
finally. So 333. The question I have is, is she the only one who's represented by them? Because is this... Mm. If she... Hmm. Let's let's clarify what we yeah. know so far. 333. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, or you want to clarify on 333, see if the book brings us to a clarification page, or you want to clarify it out loud? It's... Uh, Kind of out loud, if possible, here, which is, so we know the involvement of Ava Blackwell is is being freed of her restraints and, and the uh, blackmail. Lady Blakeney was the one that was sending letters under a pseudonym, if I recall correctly? Yeah. Hmm. We need to talk to her. Okay. Uh... You exchange a few more polite words with Lady Ava and her cousin, thank them for help, and turn to 370. Yeah, because I'm not convinced that they aren't working with multiple people in saying, you're safe. Because it seems like, you know, they, they, they're the hero kind of characters, like, at least trying to be viewed that way. I think that they would only want to go through that and then, like, make sure to, that everyone's anxieties could be rested. Hmm. I, I believe that but also, like, they can't be working with the person who did the crime. Yes. I believe, like, there are multiple plots, and Sherlock's was to burn the notes and then just leave the dude alive, I can only imagine, because he doesn't seem the type to do it himself. That'd be, yeah, odd. But hey, 370. You consider the next name on your list of suspects, Lady Blakeney, widow of the late Lord Harold Blakeney. You wonder how, whether you should go see her at all. Her husband has died only recently. All England considered him to be one of the bravest, most loved men in the country. Successful as a general, as the Queen's representative in several delicate matters, and as a governor general. Lady Blakeney is a famed beauty, daughter of a country squire, and a familiar figure in all the best circles in London. It is said that she could choose from a hundred of the most eligible men in the land at any time. If you see her, 256, I'm already there. Boom. You gather your courage and visit Lady Blakeney. A hansom takes you to the one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in the city. Deduct two shillings from your character record. The Blakeney townhouse is a fine old building, blending wealth with taste in elegant proportions. A tall, thin butler answers to your knock and shows you to a small room while he asks your business. May I see Lady Blakeney? You ask, giving him your credentials. It is a matter of some importance. Be the that as it may, sir, your request is impossible. The butler answers. Lady Blakeney is visiting her estates in Scotland. Scotland? You ask, surprised. Yes, sir. As you undoubtedly know, sir. Lord Blakeney died suddenly, and the grief of his death and all the attendant details quite exhausted her ladyship. She has gone to rest in the country for a while. If you ask what Lady Blakeney looks like, 469, otherwise 483. Uh, my fear is not asking this gets us away from here. Yeah, exactly. I want to press anything that keeps us here. Yeah, it's not my most, like, curious question that I have, but... I believe I saw Lady Blakeney once. You say thoughtfully. At least I assumed it was she. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. The butler almost smiles. That would be her, sir. A tall, dark woman with that strong sort of beauty. She has a thin mouth, curved nose, and dark eyebrows that heighten the fire in her eyes. 
You nod in agreement and check deduction 19, turning to 483. You continue to chat with the butler. Pick a number and add your communication bonus. Add two if you check decision 20. We did indeed. Oh, that is Lord. the uh, note from uh, Ellington. This is, uh, I think this is our first 14. <laughs> it is indeed. So, yeah, we yeah we do it. 180. Lord Blakeney's death must have been a tragedy to your entire household, just as it was a shock to the whole nation. You say politely. How did the tragedy occur? The butler's face shows emotion for the first time as he remembers the painful event. It was heartbreaking. He says. Especially since we all felt so helpless. Her ladyship was attending at Queen of Canterbury when the lordship was drenched by the rain while riding. He took to his bed with a severe cold and developed into pneumonia. He seemed to rally until he received a packet of papers in the mail. He read them and threw them into the fire, and he wrote his wife a note. All after that, he seemed to give up hope, surrendering to the disease. He was gone before her ladyship could return. The butler seems on the verge of tears. Turn to 531. You continue to talk to the butler, trying to think of what questions might draw useful information out of him. Pick a number and add intuition. Needing an 8, getting a 9... Five thirty-eight. You chat a little with the butler. I'm actually surprised to hear that any aristocracy would be leaving town right now. You say casually. I just would have thought she would have stayed in London for the Earl of Delvercourt's wedding. She decided to suddenly leave on the 14th, sir. The butler answers. She said she had finally arranged matters here so that she could leave the city, and she felt that she needed the change of air. If you ask if something upset her to cause this decision, turn to 248. Or, or don't. 248. 248. Yeah. Well, that is the way of women. <laughs> you say sagely? Uh... <laughs> the sudden decision with no warning to the poor men who must deal with them. Good lord, this book is dated. Wow. 1980s. <laughs> this book is older than we are. You say sagely. <laughs> <laughs> Had anything upset her to produce the final pressure that would have uh, led her to leave? Oh, no, sir. The butler answers. She was not upset. In fact, she seemed to have finally accepted her fate, uh, as if she'd relieved much of the strain she felt and needed the trip to remove the remainder. Reminder. Remainder. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Decorrected it. <laughs> You smile and continue chatting. What else would have happened that would have produced the reaction, you think? Pick a number and add your communication. Need another eight? Uh, seven. Damn it. 458. I mean, we got a lot out of this guy. Yeah. The butler stiffens slightly, stares at you, then looks at his watch in apparent alarm. Why, look at the time. He says. I'm sorry, but I must be about my duties. Good day. Turn to 294. I mean, she seems very suspect. She uh, yeah. was suddenly relieved. Yeah. <laughs> she left the area. I mean, also, the, the the it wasn't noted down as a note or a decision or a deduction of any kind, but the order of the communications was such that the blackmail must have been revealed to her husband uh, before he died. He seemed to be a very jealous sort as well, so it's possible. Oh no, it's the new husband that's a very jealous sort. I'm, I'm mixing up the names of all of these aristocrats. As you should. 
They're all the same. Punks. Two ninety four. For you think nothing else of the ask of the butler. You thank him and leave. Wait, no. Wait, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Five forty seven. Sorry, I didn't think of him as just a butler. I'm kind of a man of the people. You consult your list and consider going to see Miss Miles and Colonel Dorking. <laughs> Miss Miles is the most convenient to visit first. If you visit her, 597. If you decide not to see her, but wish to see Dorking, 309. If you visit neither, 484. Mm. Huh. It's probably not good detective I'm... work to say that we just know who it, like, feels like we know who it is. And say yeah, no. it's just we don't... We don't have a lot of proof for the method by which things occurred. We have a lot of uh, conjecture and hearsay. Yeah. Yeah. Miss my, is my thing is that I just like, I don't know who the hell these people are. Mm-hmm. Like, they were on a list. The other person uh, was on know two what? lists. Do you want to not visit either of them? <laughs> it's, it seems a bold choice, but kind of. <laughs> Like, I kind of don't care about them, but that's probably stupid. Like, we need to, we do need to figure out who, uh, it feels like it's important to figure out who the woman was that left the scene. It feels right now like Blakeney, mm. or or that woman's, the other woman's cousin, but I don't think so. Philippa Blackwell. Philippa, or Philippa, but I don't think so. Yeah, we need to find a method of it, but it's it's going to be difficult to find a method when we're not investigating Lady Blakeney. So I'm concerned here. I I'm, I almost do feel like you know not just turning over new stones would help, but I can't even imagine what they would even contribute to. Like, oh yeah, I saw her do it. <laughs> it's like yeah. So I'm I'm either of the mind of we visit her or we visit neither, and I'll leave that up to you. Let's visit her. All right. 497. You hurry to Mrs. Miles' address, a townhouse in the West End. After you send in your credentials, the maid shows you to meet Miss Miles. You exchange greetings while considering how to question her. She's a pleasant-looking, intelligent woman in her middle 20s. If you say you're investigating blackmail, 237. If you ask if she's heard of Milverton, 364. I think we should say we're investigating blackmail. I think she might be more willing to talk to someone who is looking into the case rather than someone who might be sent here by Mr. Milverton or other people. Yeah, I'm done. 237. Yeah. Whoa. Your papers indicate that you came here to say something. <laughs> Your voice, Miss Miles. Sounds a lot like mine. Are you single? <laughs> <laughs> you got away with words. <laughs> Miss, I like the cut of your jib. Oh, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> Mrs. Miles says, interrupting the pleasantries. How can I help you? Uh, I, I will give her a different voice just for the sake of understanding the conversation, though. Yes. How can I help you? I've been looked to, I've been asked to look into a case of a blackmailer quietly, though. You explain. By talking to people who might have been victims of the villain. I can talk to you without any official record being made of the case. You're a few months late. She replies bitterly. As you have guessed, blackmail led to the cancellation of my marriage, sir. The man obtained some indiscreet letters of mine and demanded that I pay a huge sum if I wanted them back. I refused to pay and he carried out his scheme. But fortunately, some right-thinking citizens shot the devil a few days ago. That was Mr. Milberton? You ask and she, and she nods. If you ask if someone helped her deal with Milverton, turn to 148. Or if you thank her, leave 214. 
I mean, I'm not that, considering we were maybe not coming here at all, I'm not that worried about upsetting her. Yeah, let's do it. So 148. <laughs> Did anyone assist you in your dealings with that villain? You ask carefully. Miss Smiles sighs deeply. Uh, no, I did not confide in anyone. I didn't know who I could trust in so delicate a matter. Perhaps I was wrong. Nothing could have made matters worse. Turn to 214. You, oh, you thank Miss Miles for her help and the maid shows you out. Turn to 239. You wonder whether you should visit Colonel Dorking. If you see him, turn to 309. I guess I don't see the motive here. Of him. Of Colonel mm -hmm. Dorking. I don't see his motive either, but... I mean, if, if they're going to be this quick, maybe we should check it out. I mean, sure. 309. A handsome carries you to Colonel Dorking's house. Deduct a shilling from your <laughs> character record. A valet shows you in to see Colonel Dorking. He is a solidly built middle-aged man with a neatly trimmed moustache. His nephew, a tall young... Mm. Mm. Tall young man is with him. They both carefully read your credentials. What could I do for you, sir? The colonel asks politely. Did you ever deal with a man named Milverton? You ask. He was an agent until he was killed a few days ago. Pick a number, add your communication, and add three if you check decision 20. I will Which say, um, there is an opportunity that Holmes and Watson are covering for another two people who dressed up vaguely like them. Mm. Like, as part of an intentional plan. Like, Maybe he's keeping Possible. them safe too. That's also an option as well. Uh, so I got a, I mean, I got a ten plus three plus one. So we got another fourteen. Hell yeah! So five and one. Milverton, the colonel shouts, then sighs. I have no real wish to help you catch his killer, sir. I should have killed him myself. What did he do? You ask. Why, the devil found evidence of some indiscreet behavior of mine. Typical young man's folly, you understand? Uh, he said he would prevent my wedding if I didn't pay him 5,000 pounds. Being a fool, I paid. What I didn't know was that he'd also blackmailed Miss Miles, my fiancée, and she refused to pay. He revealed her secrets in ways that made the wedding impossible. Curse him. But someone paid him in the manner he deserved. If you ask where he was during the murder, 479. If you thank him and leave, 261. Man, everybody's push. happy he's dead. I don't care about but, this guy. Yeah, I don't care about this guy. I'm willing to push. But I also don't think he did it based on the frame. Yeah. I, I just want his alibi as a clue so yeah. we can refer to it later. Yeah. You search for the proper phrasing. Uh, Colonel Dorking. You begin. You know, it, I don't even really think it's you. I, look, I... Frankly, as far as I'm concerned, I really shouldn't do this, but I gotta ask just for the finality of it. Where were you with midnight on the 13th? You know. Pick a number, add your communication, and a plus three if you did decision 20. That is an 11 plus three plus one. This Alpha's 15. The decision 20 check of adding plus three is absolutely popping off. So that's a 15. Uh, 417. The night of the 13th. <laughs> he empties out his wallet while talking to you and gives it, gives you all of his cash. <laughs> Dark... No, I don't remember where I was. Do you remember where I was, officer? I'll be anywhere you said I was, officer. <laughs> Dorking repeats. 
You do me more honor than I deserve to suggest that I might have helped slaughter that dog. As it happens, actually, my nephew and I were uh, played hoist until two in the morning in the company of Mr. Carson and Lord Andy. They took ten pounds apiece off each of us, so they will remember the evening. I trust you will not bother them, though. Turn to 261. Yeah. Good enough for me. After a polite conversation, you thank Colonel Dorking and 169. You study your evidence and try and decide whether there's any more information to be found. You decide that there might be evidence in the houses of some of the suspects. You decide that you might be able to search one house without getting caught. On the other hand, if you get caught in the house of one of these rich and influential, influential suspects, you'll probably end up in jail for a long time. So Inspector Lestrade would certainly stop you if he knew you were going to commit burglary to search for evidence. Uh, Miss, if you want to search Miss Miles, Sylvia Daniels, Lady Blakeney's, or don't. Who was Sylvia Daniels again? I have no idea. I was going to ask you. Who the hell is that? <sighs> Boy. Uh, the, the only person I can't remember the name of uh, would be the person whose maid was mm. the meeting between, the person who was acting as the go-between for Blakeney's messages. Mm. I mean, I'm down to but search I... Blakeney's. Yeah, we're definitely searching Blakeney's. It's it's more just who the who is hell that? is Lady yeah. Sylvia Daniel? <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Uh, Three forty-two. Even go here. Determined to search Lady Blakeney's residence for evidence, you return to the neighborhood that evening. A fog is settling in, which should help you carry out your plan. You walk around the townhouse, studying the house and property. You know enough about this sort of house to guess accurately where her bedroom is located. Two courses of action appear suitable to you. You can get some people to create a disturbance. If this draws the servants out of the house, you can slip in and go upstairs. The other choice is to sneak in through the upstairs window. Uh, to create a disturbance, 514, sneak in, 298, or go home now, 460. Uh, on second thoughts, mm, this is embarrassing. I want to go home. Just wearing a full balaclava, holding <laughs> a crowbar. Hmm, <laughs> actually. I have rethought my life decisions. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, ooh. So, disturbance, interesting. That gives witnesses. Yeah. The way and it also feels like listed. I still have to sneak in behind them anyway, so yeah. why not? Like, if, if I've got to do something sneaky. Yeah, 298. It's, it's got to be a, an artifice check, one would imagine. One would. You move around carefully, see the back of the house, certain that no one is in position to see you. Ivy covers the walls, and it's easy to climb up to the top window that you've chosen. Cling to the ivy, you try and release the catch and open the window. Pick a number and add your artifice. Check of eight. First die is, an, is a five, so that's good start. <gasps> and the second die is a five, so unfortunately that is not an eight. That's a ten. Oh, dang it. We'll just uh, have to go to 350, the correct of the, uh, the, the good option. Your guess was correct. You're obviously in the private rooms of Lady Blakeney. The furnishings are the finest and most tasteful, tasteful, tasteful sort. You begin to search for anything of use in the case. Pick a number and add your artifice. Only needing a seven now. Getting a... Uh, unfortunately, we got a nine. Oh, damn it. 320. The good option again. Yeah. You search Lady Blakeney's room. In a small drawer of her desk, you find what you seek. It's obvious her ladyship trusts her servants lying under some papers and is a dainty little revolver, the size used to kill Milverton. The spent cartridges still in under it are two notes, one initialed CAM, which makes you think an appointment to Appledore Towers for midnight of the 13th, the night of the murder. 
The other is more touching, and you have are a little shamed to read it. Dearest Mary, when I served the Queen abroad, uh, the one I thought, the, sorry, the one thought rather that carried me through every danger was the sure knowledge that you were loyally awaiting my return. Today, however, I received a packet of your letters that shows me how misplaced was my confidence. They showed you to be romantically involved with a Mr. Milverton of Appledore Towers. I do not know how to live with this knowledge. Deeply troubling to receive when I am ill. I threw the evidence of your betrayal into the fire. Know that I shall always love you. Blakeney. You consider this new evidence. Its meaning becomes clear to you. Check clue Y. You leave the note in its place and slip out a window, trying to climb down the ivy. Roll plus athletics. That is an 8 plus 1. It's a 9. 539. Though you are afraid of falling for a moment, you reach the ground safely and quietly. You cross the yard and vault the back wall. Pick a number. No bonus. No bonus. Need a 6 or above. I mean, we got an 11. So, <laughs> whatever. 5.33. Once in the lane behind the house, you hurry away through the fog, and nobody tries to stop you. Turn to 4.60. You've assembled all the evidence that you'll be able to find in this investigation, and wondering if you can name the killer correctly, you go to Baker Street to check your conclusions with Sherlock Holmes. Mrs. Hudson takes you upstairs to the rooms of Holmes and Watson. Your cousin in the back, Watson. Holmes says cheerfully. Perhaps he will tell us who killed Milverton. You nod. If you check, cloop. Turn to 203, otherwise 303. We did, right? We have indeed. Uh, that is that it was, in fact, uh, Holmes that was doing the intrusion that night. Mm -hmm. Holmes studies you for a few moments before speaking. You know that Watson and I were the intruders at Appledore Towers. Did we kill Milverton? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Cough him. Cough him. If you check deduction 9 or 10, turn to 499, otherwise 601, have we? Uh, we did, and deduction 10 was that we uh, agreed that we would tell Holmes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is effectively just confirmation of our last conversation with him. Uh, no, Mr. Holmes. You say? Neither you nor Dr. Watson killed Milverton. I've evidence he received the lady visitor that night. I'm certain she must have been the killer. Who was the lady? Holmes asks. If you admit you have no idea, 525, otherwise 524. 524, uh, yeah, baby, pretty I'm darn, pretty sure pretty we know. I'm sure at this point. We found the gun. I found the gun in a drawer. It had bullets spent, and it said, uh, for Milverton on it. Mm-hmm. It was sitting atop a note that was uh, just titled, My Motive. <laughs> it, it was sitting on top of a list that said, To Do, and it had one thing, and it was Kill Milverton, and it was crossed and out. it was crossed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drawing a deep breath, you prepare to tell Holmes which woman killed Milverton. Miss Miles, Lodi Ava Blackwell. Lady Blakeney, Miss Filipina Blackwell, Philippa, which I will say, I don't know, on vibes alone, maybe, maybe we can just accuse Philippa, but no, it's I mean, Blakeney. I, I, I think we can uh, drum yeah. up some charges for her later. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Too much shushing. 453. Exactly. Too stone a face. I believe that Lady Blakeney killed Milverton. 
you say? Uh, in fact, I think she blamed Milberton for her husband's death. What evidence do you have of that charge? Holmes demands as Watson leans forward eagerly to listen to you. If you've checked Cluey, turned 604, otherwise 606. Have I? I discovered the gun. Sorry? Oh, 604 is is Cluey? Cluey? Uh, what? Wait, what? Oh, sorry, Clue with a Y. Sorry, we don't have Clue E. We do have Clue Y. Cluey. So Cluey. yes, Clue Y <laughs> was the note that Harold sorry. Blakeney wrote. <laughs> it's Cluey. Yes. I discovered the gun in an incriminating note in a room. You explain. Yes, I guess that is very convincing evidence by itself. Holmes says. It proves both a, mo a motive, rather, and a method of the killing. What else have you learned? Oof. If you checked clues D and Z or S and decision 19, or either clue K or clue L, turn to 615. Mm. Surely. I actually have uh, good news for you, which is we have both clues D and Z. We have the maid meeting at midnight, and we also have the Blakeney note. Mm. Holmes listens to your explanation and then nods. That is about as thorough an explanation of this case as could be presented. You've done an excellent job. You smile with the kind words and turn to 616. Holmes continues to speak. You now know who killed Mr. Milverton, he says. But I cannot permit you to reveal your success to anyone else. I do not think Lady Blakeney should be prosecuted for her crime. She suffered irreparable harm from Milverton's actions, and legal methods would have only provided a token repayment for her wrongs. To prosecute her would ruin her, and she doesn't believe uh, doesn't deserve that. I will hold you to our agreement. Do not tell Lestrade who killed him. But what is that going to do to my career? You ask. And what'll Lestrade say or do to me? I'll see Lestrade. Holmes continues. And without telling him any details, I will make it clear to him that he does not want to know who killed Milverton. A trial of Lady Blakeney would rock the country. You accept Holmes's demand and agree to keep the secret. After some further discussion of the case, you leave Baker Street, and already you're eagerly wondering what sort of crime will provide the impetus for your next investigation. The... We did it! We and did, we it. did it! And it was successful! To the true satisfaction! You could not have done... Uh, what is it? As thorough an explanation of the case as could be presented. Mmm, precisely. Probably the nicest thing that Holmes could say. <laughs> it certainly seems to be the nicest thing he has. Yeah. Well, hey, it's good. It's good. I liked it. Hell yeah. I, I really like in this one that we've, we've uh, learned that the book does intend to make searching the red herrings uh, mechanically negative for the player which then enforces the player actually making more, you know, astute decisions as to whether or not you want to push any particular yeah. line of questioning. I agree. Agree. Large. A large agree on that. Uh, A big, large agree. One, one large agree, please. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that there's something, there's something always cozy about a murder in like a little mansion house kind of a thing. And, mm -hmm. and then... There's a very large sum of people to talk to in a, like, quick order, which, I mean, was not not referenced. <laughs> it, w it wasn't skipped over by the book. It was, like, there was quite literally the Strahd there to basically act as the, like, man, isn't it crazy how many people we have to interview kind of mm -hmm. guy? An entire clown car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next. Next. Yeah. But, hey. A, a, a ding dong dug it.
You got anything we else to say? We have seen this through to the end and prosecuted, or rather not prosecuted, the appropriate villain and or victor. However, for this episode, the executive producer of Turn to Page will be Joa. Thank you very much, Joa, for executive producing Turn to Page over on the Turn to Page Patreon. That's patreon.com slash turn to page cast at or above the hardcover tier. Much appreciated, Joa, as well as to the rest of the supporters over there on Patreon. So true. Uh, as a reward for you help and support on Patreon, if you have done any crimes, we will not turn you in. That is your... That's your reward. If you have any crime, tell us why your crime was fine. Tell us why your crime was fine, Joa, and we will not turn you in. Congratulations and thanks. <laughs> but genuinely thank you. And a huge thank you to everybody supporting on patreon.com slash turn to page cast. Uh, yep. Yeah. If you want to help support the podcast in a completely free way, there is over on youtube.com slash turn to page cast. At Turn to Page Cast, I suppose. Uh, you can go and subscribe over there. Likes, comments, all that stuff over there. Very, very helpful in a free way. Reviews as well. Completely free thing you can do that's very helpful. Or just telling the friend if there's a even, you know, if it's this season or a different season or just the show in general that you think a friend could really enjoy, uh, send it their way. It'd be great. It'd be helpful. But alas, I think that's that. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. But we won't turn you in.